I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. I like to live in harmony, specifically the harmony of A-flat minor, bionic. Mm. Mm. That's not the devil's chord, is it? Well, you know, D minor is really the saddest of all keys. Is that right? Okay. Well, it's good to be with you again. I hope our listeners won't be sad after they've heard this uh, episode of The Quake. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be back with you. And we're going to do something tonight we have not done in over a month. And what is that? Eat. No, we're not going to eat. Really? Uh, tomorrow's Tremors. I'm hungry, man. Or today's review of the Futures News. Uh, probably everybody's a little disappointed. They've been enjoying the different kinds of interviews, or at least found them intriguing. Mm-hmm. And we're back, back to our old regular standby here uh, mm-hmm. discussion. Anything really going on with you? Anything to report? Uh, do you have a couple hours? Well, I know. <laughs> uh, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. It's lots always a party stuff. over here. In almost every area of your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is like a big battle royal melee. Yep. I haven't had I haven't had my kidneys removed and woken up in a yeah. tub full of ice, but right. other than that. That'll come. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, what are you doing the, with that pen knife? The Lord is is staying with you, though, right? He's, yeah. He's getting you through all I this. I think so, man. I kind of freaked out over the weekend. But I'm a little better now. Yeah. 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 Well, it was a good thing I went down there and got you, and we got you off the ledge. And, yeah. You know. That five-foot fall would have been rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great to be back with you all again, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so appreciate so much of what you all do. And I'm going to tell you something, whether it's out of order or not, or in, in our order of things, because I'm afraid I'm going to forget it. had an interesting circumstance today. Uh, I had... Uh, Thought I'd had a number of Andrew Hoffman's books, The New World Order and Eugenics Wars, uh-huh. on on site because I, I think there's no better primer for Christians to read to understand what we talk about on Future Quake. If you got to start, you know, start from the beginning, get past the scary cover, and get in there, and you can really learn something. And in fact, um, just gave a, a copy I had to um, a good Christian brother of mine that's asking questions. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I really looked through my other spare copies, and I realized I can't find them anywhere. Can't find any spare copies, and you should always keep a bunch of copies of the New World Order Eugenics Wars on mm-hmm. hand. Which, by the way, you can get at eugenicswars.com. Yes. We have no more of the two book sets, mm-hmm. um, but you can go to go there and get them. And I highly recommend all our listeners support Brother Andrew Hoffman, who's been a wonderful personal friend and friend of the show since we've gotten to know him. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ordered, I, I, I ordered three copies, and. Uh, uh, Brother Andrew, you know, put them in the mail. Expedite. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, today I got the package, and I look at it, and anyway, I got handed a whole stack of mail by the postman at my door. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't look at everything at once, so I just took it and went back. And later mm-hmm. on, when I'm looking through, I see this package, and it's one of those really hard plastic um, plastic wrap packages that has adhesive on it. and mm-hmm. It's like it's bulletproof almost. You can't tear it open. It's like a bomb. Well... I don't say that we've got echelon listening to us. But, I don't care. We're, I mean, uh, if they haven't got enough on us by now, it's yeah, like that's true. they're falling asleep. We're over probably there. on the red list anyway. But yeah, I'm on the uh, red list. I'm on like the fuchsia list. Fuchsia, okay. Yeah, because there's no fuchsia for you. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be Doctor Fuchsia. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
Anyway, I look and it's like ripped open almost all the way across on the top of the package. Mm-hmm. Not quite, but just the width of the book. Okay, just enough like if you were going to try to get a book out. Mm-hmm. And I see that they've thrown a rubber band around it. And <coughs> I look inside and there's two books in there. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, I ordered three. And I thought that's really weird, but it looks like somebody would have had to. Now, you know, it's always possible that a machine mm-hmm. is reading something and it could get caught or something like that. But it was ripped just right at the top and just enough to get the book out. Mm-hmm. And then the book would have had to work its way out on top mm-hmm. of that. And so uh, I talked to uh, Brother Andrew this afternoon. And mm-hmm. He said, yeah, actually, he says, I've thrown an extra one in there. And he says, so there should have been four. And he said, uh, he says, they always tell me that when it's marked media like that, that they that they may take, uh, take it apart to inspect it. So I don't know if they did something and went in there and didn't replace them or That's if funky. somebody needed them. Yeah, there's probably some DHS agent out there reading about it. Well, you know what? I was going to I had, I had a crazy idea. Would you mind if I said a prayer for whoever's got that book? Sure. That the Lord would change your life? Hit it, man. And I have another prayer request from one of our real supporters, mm-hmm. one of our uh, future supporters. I just thought this would be a good time to do this, too. They asked for help on something. They've got a pornography addiction, mm-hmm. and it's tearing them up. One of, and, one of our listeners. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm sure there's not one. I'm no. sure that's 50% of common. all 50% of all church congregations, somebody's addicted to porn. That's all? Just 50%? Yeah. Pyro? <laughs> no. Mike? So, Pyro? you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, people hate bringing up those kind of, any addiction, any addiction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But um, we're all in this together. We all got our issues, mm-hmm. every one of us. And so I just want to pray for that person, too. Uh, that's so, a, I mean, I sort of make light of it, but that's a really hard thing to sort yeah. of say and bring up. They're called addictions for a reason. Yep. And they're all, we, you all have your own kind of thing. You struggle yeah. with everybody. Mm-hmm. And for many of us in our group, it, that would be this, or it would be alcohol, or it would be drugs, or whatever. So let me just say a prayer mm-hmm. uh, for that, and then Please. we'll get on the show. Yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, Brother Tom and I, and uh, all of our listeners, our Futurians out there together are agreeing together right now. Uh, first of all, for this, whoever the person or persons were that, uh, if it appears as it looks, may have actually tampered with this package and mm-hmm. removed these books. It could have been just an accident, Lord, and they were inspecting, forgot to put them in, mm-hmm. or, or a mechanical problem. But, Lord, if it's something where somebody got it and they saw this book with the crazy cover on it, Lord, I pray that they would be intrigued enough that they would read that book. And that they would read about Jesus Christ in there and about how the world really works and it explains what's going on today. And it talks about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. And, Lord, there's many things that I believe could lead people to Christ just from reading Andrew's book. Lord, I pray that the person or persons, if, if it is in their possession, that there would be fruit that would be born of that. And that it would do something that it wouldn't do if it had gotten to me. Lord, that it would actually change their lives and that they'd even pass it on to other people, Lord. And we, we thank you in advance if that mm-hmm. is the circumstance. We thank you in advance uh, for what you're going to accomplish there mm-hmm. and for the testimony that maybe even one day our ears will hear mm-hmm. of, of what happened with that. And, Lord, I also pray not only for this individual who asked for us to pray specifically for him, but for everyone in our audience for a very, very common problem like we all struggle with these common problems, Lord, of pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord, anything 
that we lose our own control over, uh, that takes up from our life from what is the best way for us to live the way you'd want us to live, Lord, is harmful. Lord, whether it's whether it's pornography or just the Internet or uh, certain drugs or alcohol or, or whatever it is, Lord, whatever we obsess over, mm-hmm. Lord, I just pray that we would have liberty, all of us, from that in our life. Both uh, this Futurian friend of ours who's been very honest and for all of our other Futurians that are dealing with pornography addiction or with the other addictions that we deal with, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, we all struggle. We're all struggling with the flesh, Lord, and um, we're all in this boat together in that mm-hmm. until we're able to kill the flesh one day, Lord, and, and um, it will no longer bother us. Lord, mm-hmm. I pray for victory and deliverance and for, uh, for us to be energized to the Spirit that we can be lifted up to to be the people that you would have us to be, fit for the kingdom to come through your grace. And, Lord, we just, just ask this and so many other needs that we have of our listeners out there for work, for jobs, for uh, other financial, marital problems. We just lift this all up to you, Lord, and we just pray that we'd be able to, be able to hear the good reports of what has come from the fruit of our prayers. Mm-hmm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thanks for letting me share that. And while I'm yeah. talking about our Futurians, let me just say a couple thank yous to our Futurian listeners. Um, these people have made donations to FutureQuake uh, in the last few weeks. And uh, um, I, I want to thank a brother Andrew, a brother Luke, uh, a brother uh, Jakub, and uh, brother Charles. We've all made uh, notable donations. If I have forgotten somebody in my list, please forgive me. Uh, I try to keep my notes as best as I can, and I'm not real good at that or anything else. But still waiting on a, my attention. So still waiting on a, on, a, on a donation from Brother Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah, brother. Yeah, <clears throat> be nice if he if he came in. Finally Gates. In. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah, they'd probably give us some GMO food or something. Yeah, maybe take us to the seed vault in Norway. Uh-huh. Yeah, get open the door, throw us in, close the yeah. door. Well, let, let me tell our listeners, we still have a couple of the books, How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century. Um, uh, has a bunch of authors in, some of which you'll know, Futurians, including me. I write a chapter on fuel and food shortages in the future and Bible prophecy. Uh, they're available at the front of futurequake.com. Uh, and also, I just got a new case of the newer book out called Pandemonium's Engine about transhumanism and about the prophetic implications of it, current events. And I write about a, a big chapter on prophecy and Nimrod as the first transhuman super soldier. And uh, if you'd be interested in those things, just go to the front of futurequake.com. That also helps us with the expenses of keeping the website going and the expenses of doing futurequake, Skype, and, and some research books and things. So um, appreciate that. And just a reminder, I told everybody that we just opened up the Future Quake uh, memorabilia store. Uh, people have been wanting stuff for forever and been waiting on me to do it. And so finally put in a major effort, and it just got up last week. I think we announced it before we went off the air last week. And I had placed an immediate order for a bunch of stuff from there just to see what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Brother Vaughn has told us that they have really good quality, and mm-hmm. he's been pleased with it. Um, and I haven't gotten any of my the clothing parts. All I got was Pyro sweater, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which looks good. It's a little bit on the smallish end from the order, but I think it'll work. But um, uh, but I got some bumper stickers. Got one with our verses. How from many? How Revelation many? How many uh, 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 shirts did you order? Four. 
Oh. I ordered wow. one of each type of uh, shirt mm-hmm. just to see what they were like. So yeah. I could, if they were cruddy, I could tell people. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, since they're in black, they take a little bit longer. The darker shirts take a little longer processing. Mm-hmm. But um, got the bumper stickers. Got one that's got the Revelation 18 quote uh, about the uh, kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth. Get fornicating to, with the uh, get together to do some fornication in Babylon and using their sorcery to deceive us all. And uh, they look great, don't they? They do. It's even got one bumper sticker. It's got a mural off the future mobile, and it shows Jesus riding back, fighting the Antichrist and false prophet. And, mm-hmm. and of course, immediately behind Jesus would be you and me. Yeah, of course. And uh, Pyro and Merv and uh, Emmett and Mrs. Future, and then a whole bunch of guests off of Future Quake and Friends. Mm-hmm. And you can identify that. So that's available in a uh, bumper sticker. And then we've got posters. You can get posters. I got the biggest size they offered, which was 24 by 36, and it has both murals off the Future Mobile, mm-hmm. and looks pretty cool, doesn't it? It does. Came out really well. It does. I'm really happy. I'm with impressed. It. it looks sharp. It looks good in any of your all's uh, living rooms, I think, in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, give it to your parents or whatever. Yeah, give them to your parents. They can put it in their homes mm-hmm. for gifts, or maybe your boss at work or something. They could have that. But uh, yeah, you're That'd smiling. Yeah, you think your boss bosses would enjoy that? Maybe I might put it up in my my yeah. office. Your office? Yeah. yeah, I think that'd be good too. Yeah. yeah, my office my office is like half of a computer room where where the yeah. you know the people I count and stuff look for jobs and get on the computer uh-huh. and the internet and stuff. So yeah, putting that up in the wall would be like what on earth? Yeah, when you maybe they could recognize Tom Biotic in there with the shield of faith and hell of salvation on mm-hmm. the on the mural. I'm sure they would. But uh, lots of cups. I haven't gotten any of the cups or mugs yet, so they're in the way. Mm-hmm. Just go over there and just browse around. There's, se- I think, 74 or 76 items you can get. Mm-hmm. And if you look up any one of them, each one of them is a different design, okay? Mm-hmm. And that design, all the different variations of clothing or mug or whatever you can get of any of those designs. So if you see a design you like, click on it. If it, if, if you want a big, tall cup and it's only a small one, don't worry. Click on it and you can pick pick it in a travel mug like an aluminum travel mug mm-hmm. or a like a stein ceramic stein or you can get uh shirts and like t-shirts or sweatshirts like long sun, sleeve stein, hoodie, man that's cool hoodies any of that kind of stuff that's all available Doc and tome yeah i don't know how that ended up tome, sweet man thank you well i just figured that would help you in case the uh feds come say that's not me that's tome go get i don't know who tome, tome is tome by i'm just a quiet quiet middle-aged man who Sorry. lives in I got in a really small apartment. I get a little carried away typing uh, in there. Sorry about yeah, that. So anyway, that's enough for the announcements. Dog Unless there's something tone. else. By the way, you and I are going to the uh, peace Grouch conference. Already. Peace conference. Oh, uh, that too. Brother Martin uh, had mentioned the yep. role. So, and I think we're going to meet. Going to uh, have ourselves a peace dividend. We're going to meet Robert Hyde there in Louisville. Yeah, it's going to be January twenty. Well, it's 27th and 28th. Yeah, we're leaving out of here like... Friday, and we're going to leave early Saturday morning at oh dark 30. I was, yeah, we're leaving out of here like 4 a.m., right? No, it's not that early. Like negative two. It's not two. that bad. Um, but we'll we'll be be there probably about close to nine, I guess. And uh, if you're somewhere within driving range of Louisville, meet us over there. It'll be a good time. I'll be teaching them about love. And that sort of relates a little bit to some stuff I'm going to read. And I have a little different approach for tomorrow's tremors this week so mm-hmm. i hope it doesn't well it'll offend people but i hope it offends a little less than intended so um sweet anything else you want to say before we dive into news I'll just you know keep praying praying for me okay you know, lots of stuff going on so yeah we'll get you prayed through yeah i need something yeah 
Uh, would you like to start? Mm, why don't you start? You sure? Yes. Well, this is something that's going to be a little bit to read. Um, do you want to do it in multiple segments? or? Well, I've got different breakups here. So Okay. I mean, this you, is you, like, you spent the time to sort of break it like down. This is like three then. pages. So. Break it um, down. Do, 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 do. There, uh, as, as do, I expected, um, do, 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 do. there were some of our listeners who were a little concerned about uh, our good friend Brother Martin that came on, mm-hmm. talking about having dialogues with Muslims and having times even just one-on-one, mm-hmm. meeting them individually, developing friendships and things like that, and then as groups, meeting together as groups and figuring out how to get to know each other better, mm-hmm. finding ways that maybe we don't hurt each other, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who are, wor- well, I don't know if it's a lot, but I heard from some folk that were that a lot of those things just become a ruse for New World Order ecumenism. Well, and that's not completely untrue. It can it can evolve into that, and to some groups it does. Yeah. Uh, but there were some concerns that even the, the situations we were talking about would evolve into that. And I want people to know that we are mindful, like you just said. Mm-hmm. We're mindful that if people aren't careful to check their faith, that they can be led into that if we allow it to be. Uh, or we can do it as a means by which, like Paul says, just live, if at all possible, live at peace with all men. Mm-hmm. And if we don't talk to each other, there's a good chance that it's not going to be a good, you know, peaceful relationship, mm-hmm. even if we have our spiritual differences. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's a place, as long as we don't sell out Jesus or the gospel, mm-hmm. there is a place for us to be able to talk, uh, to even develop a little bit of respect for each other if it promotes the guise of, of peaceful interaction, mm-hmm. that people can live and grow up and raise their families and not be in fear of each other. And so uh, one of our listeners, who's a dear dear friend of our show, uh, he had sent a bunch of links of things that were concerns she had, documents, and then they led to other links and other kind of stuff mm-hmm. that I began reading about some of the history of the dialogues between the Christian community and the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And as I read them, I thought, you know, th- th- these are like the real official ones, okay? And the reason is is that the last step in the news got to be controversial with our evangelical leaders. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, I, I printed off some of them. These are a formal agreed documents from officials of the church, officials of the Muslims. Okay. You never speak for all of them. But I just thought this would be a good education for our listeners, and maybe you might have some comments on it. And uh, we're going to hear from some Christian leaders and some Muslim leaders okay. on how they think they should relate to each other. Uh, does that sound of interest to you? What? Okay. Correct. Uh, so, would you oblige me with that? Yes, um, please. I'm going to go back to an older document, okay? This is one that goes back a few years, but it formed the crux for the more recent dialogue. And this actually came from an op- uh, um, th- This was uh, actually sent from the Muslims, actually. A group of, uh, of top Muslim leaders to a response to something that Pope Benedict had written. Okay. Okay. Uh, it says it's called an open letter. This was delivered to him, the Pope. The open letter to His Holiness Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, it said, "Now I'm going to quote a few things out of the Quran that they quote. Please don't think I'm trying to promote the Quran. That's not the purpose here. You're a Muslim. This is just what they're they're quoting. Okay, so we can understand." What they're thinking a little bit better, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, it says, In the name of God, the compassionate, merciful, do not contend with people of the book except in the fairest way. That's a quote from the Quran. 
Okay, he says, Your Holiness, this is from the Muslims, with regards to your lecture at the University of Regensburg in Germany on September 12, 2006, we thought it appropriate in the spirit of open exchange to address your use of a debate between the Emperor Manuel II, uh, Palcologus, and a learned Persian as the starting point for a discourse on the relationship between reason and faith. While we applaud your efforts to oppose the dominance of positivism and materialism in human life, we must point out some errors in the way you mention Islam as a counterpoint to the proper use of reason, as well as some mistakes in the assertions you put forward in your support of your argument. Okay, he okay. says, entitled, There's No Compulsion in Religion. He says, you mentioned that according to the experts, the verse that begins, there is no compulsion in religion, this is from the Quran, mm -hmm. is from the early period when the prophet was still powerless and under threat. But this is incorrect. In fact, this verse is acknowledged to belong to the period of Quranic revelation corresponding to the political and military sentence of the young Muslim community. There is no compulsion in religion was not a command to Muslims to remain steadfast in the face of the desire of their oppressors to force them to renounce their faith, but was a reminder to Muslims themselves, once they had attained power, that they could not force another's heart to believe. There is no compulsion in religion addresses those in a position of strength, not weakness. The earliest commentaries on the Quran make it clear that some Muslims of Medina wanted to force their children to convert from Judaism or Christianity to Islam. And this verse was precisely to answer them to not to try to force their children to convert to Islam. Moreover, uh, Muslims are also guided by virtues, verses such as say, Truth is from your Lord, so whosoever will, let him believe. And whosoever will, let him disbelieve. Mm -hmm. And also say, O oh, disbelievers, uh, I worship not which ye worship nor worship ye which I worship. And I shall not worship that which ye worship, nor will ye worship that which I worship. Unto you your religion, and unto me my religion. Okay, and I'm going to skip some things here and just read some other parts mm -hmm. that I find interesting. Uh, you know, we never, I don't know, do you ever read? I don't Muslims read. are talking about all the time. Do you ever read about what they write? What I, they think I don't their read. Thoughts are? You I don't read, period? Okay. Box I understand. Um, okay, and this talks about... Uh, God's transcendence, and in there in the middle of it, it says, as, as this concerns his will, to conclude that Muslims believe in a capricious God who might or might not command us to evil is to forget that God says in the Quran, Lo, God enjoins justice and kindness, giving to kinsfolk, and forbids lewdness and abomination of wickedness. He exhorts you in order that you may take heed. Uh, equally, it is to forget that God says in the Quran that he has prescribed for himself mercy. And that God says in the Quran, my mercy encompasses everything. The word for mercy, Ramah, can also be translated as love, kindness, and compassion. From this word, Ramah, comes the sacred formula Muslims use daily in the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate. Is it not self-evident that spilling innocent blood goes against mercy and compassion? And he says, the Islamic tradition is rich in its explorations of the nature of human intelligence and its relation to God's nature and his will, including questions of what is evident and what is not, or self-evident not. However, the dichotomy between reason on one hand and faith on the other does not exist in precisely the same form in Islamic thought. Rather, 
Muslims have come to terms with the power and limits of human intelligence in their own way, acknowledging a hierarchy of knowledge of which reason is a crucial part. There are two extremes which the Islamic intellectual tradition has generally managed to avoid. One is to make the analytical mind the ultimate arbiter of truth, and the other is to deny the power of human understanding to address ultimate questions. More importantly, in their most mature and mainstream forms, the intellectual explorations of Muslims go through the ages have maintained a consonance between the truths of the Quranic revelation and the demands of human intelligence, without sacrificing one for the other. God says, We shall know, show them our signs and horizons, and in them until it is clear to them that, he is, that it is the truth. Reason itself is, is one among the many signs within us which God invites us to contemplate, and to contemplate with is a way of knowing the truth. Now here's an interesting section. What is holy war? We would like to point out that, quote, holy war is a term that does not exist in Islamic languages. Jihad, it must be emphasized, means struggle, specifically struggle in the way of God. This struggle may take many forms, including the use of force. Though a jihad may be sacred in the sense of being directed toward a sacred ideal, it is not necessarily a war. Moreover, it is noteworthy that Manuel II Paleogis says that violence goes against God's nature. Since Christ himself used violence against the money changers in the temple, it said, uh, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. When, when God drowned Pharaoh, was he going against his own nature? Perhaps the emperor meant to say that cruelty, brutality, and aggression are against God's will, which, in which case the classical and traditional law of jihad in Islam would bear him out completely. You say that, uh, and this is responding to what the Pope has said, mm-hmm. he says that uh, naturally the emperor knew the instructions developed later and recorded in the Quran concerning holy war. However, as we pointed out above concerning, there is no compulsion in religion. The aforementioned instructions were not later at all. Moreover, the emperor's statements about violent conversion show that he did not know what those instructions are and have always been. The authoritative and traditional Islamic rules of war can be summarized in the following principles. Number one, non-combatants are not permitted or legitimate targets. This was emphasized explicitly time and again by the prophet, his companions, and the learned tradition back since then. Number two, religious belief alone does not make anyone the object of attack. The original Muslim community was fighting against pagans who had also expelled them from their homes, persecuted, tortured, and murdered them. Thereafter, the Islamic conquests were political in nature. Which is sort of an interesting, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's an interesting thought that they're making is that it was not a religious motivated thing more than a political group that happened to believe that religion. Well, it's, if I understand them right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a great book by a gentleman named Bill Musk, mm-hmm. uh, who writes at length about about unmasking Islam. Yeah. And I don't recall the name of the book. That might be Unmasking Islam. But one of the things that he talks about at length is is sort of that fact where um, it's not just uh, Islam is not just this sort of thing. You know, like people go there and come back. It's like it really yeah. knits the whole community together. So yeah. to come out of it is yeah. a huge thing. Yeah. Likewise, there are other there are other communities that are like nominally Christian, you know, and they come in contact with another community that's nominally Muslim and compete for resources. Yeah. Um, you know, they end up having a they end up having a fight, and the whole thing is cast in 
religious, you know, religious overtones, uh-huh. which is not completely untrue, yeah. but there's a lot more going on. Very good point. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You know, we don't ever think about that. We picture history one-dimensionally. Mm-hmm. Number three, it says Muslims can and should leave, live peaceably with their neighbors. Okay, and they quote the Quran says, And if they incline to peace, do thou incline to it, and put thy trust in God. However, this does not exclude legitimate self-defense and maintenance of sovereignty. The name of his book was The Unseen Face of Islam. Okay. Yep, sorry. Right, good. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's a really good book. Highly recommend it. Okay. Uh, it says Muslims are just as bound to obey those rules uh, as they are to refrain from theft and adultery. If, if, a, if a religion regulates war and describes circumstances where it is necessary and just, that does not make that religion warlike. Any more than regulating sexuality makes a religion prurient. Okay, so it's saying because they have rules for war doesn't mean they're promoting war. That's what I understand him saying. If some have discarded a disregarded a long and well-established tradition to favor a utopian dream where the end justifies the means, they have done so of their own accord and without the sanction of God, His Prophet, or the learned tradition. I assume they're talking about Muslim terrorists, I guess. Mm-hmm. God says in the Holy Quran, let not hatred of any people seduce you into being unjust. Be just, that is nearer nearer to piety. In this context, we must state that the murder on September 17th of an innocent Catholic nun in Somalia and any other similar acts of wanton individual violence in reaction to your lecture at the University of Regensburg is completely un-Islamic and we totally condemn such acts. Hmm. Okay, this is on forced conversion. The notion that Muslims are commanded to spread their faith by the sword, or that Islam, in fact, was largely spread by the sword, does not hold up to scrutiny. Again, this is their view. Indeed, as a political entity, Islam spread partly as a result of conquest, but the greater part of its expansion came as a result of preaching and missionary activity. Islamic teaching did not prescribe that the conquered populations be forced or coerced into converting. Indeed, many of the first areas conquered by the Muslims remained predominantly non-Muslim for centuries. Had Muslims desired to convert all others by force, there, there would not be a single church or synagogue left anywhere in the Islamic world. The command, there is no compulsion in religion, means now what it meant then. The mere fact of a person being non-Muslim has never been a legitimate causus belli in the Islamic law or belief. As with the rules of war, history shows that some Muslims have violated Islamic tenets concerning forced conversion and the treatment of other religious communities. Mm -hmm. But history also shows that these are by far the exception which proves the rule. We emphatically agree that forcing others to believe, if such a thing is possible at all, is not pleasing to God and that God is not pleased by blood. Indeed, we believe, and Muslims have always believed, that whoso slays a soul, not to retaliate for a soul slain, nor for corruption done in the land, it shall be as if he had slain mankind altogether. Let me ask you something on this, uh, Tom. Um, obviously, you know, some people who are skeptical of listening to this mm-hmm. and saying, you know, this is all lies, mm-hmm. will think about somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where they they live under, you know, you know, can hardly find hardly any churches. Maybe a few of them that were built and never re mm-hmm. expanded or anything. They won't allow it to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you hear occasionally about a thief who gets his hands cut off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds like a very barbarian kind of thing. 
Um, you know, that stuff is there to various degrees. We we may hear it exaggerated because of the agendas of the people in the press that we hear, but still to some degree is there. Missionaries talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, is you think that's just? Because, I mean, these are these are like several of these guys are grand muftis mm-hmm. of different countries. Mm-hmm. So these aren't just pure academics. These are people with some authority. Mm-hmm. But yet, I presume they're st- they still can't speak for every single of the billion Muslim out there. Sure, I would say, uh, I think I think perhaps much more than, well, now maybe not, uh, perhaps more than Christianity. There's a very very heavy fragmentation of sort of beliefs and how things are yeah. lived out in, in practicality. Yeah. yeah. And so these guys may be these guys may be laying down the law, but whether or not that's how it happens in practice yeah. is another thing. However, yeah. you know, it's interesting the interesting one of the phrases that caught my attention was he said, you know, it's true that people have done things like this, but that's not according to the true teachings of Islam. Yeah. You know? And I and, and now the Wahhabis, for example, who mm-hmm. run Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. they may disagree with a lot of this altogether. Yeah. And so you've got an entire group. Now Ironically, the Wahhabis were this little tiny cult group mm-hmm. that the United States funded after World War II. Yeah. They actually saw them as a chess piece against the secular nationalism movements. And mm-hmm. so they, the U.S. is the one who funded and got the Wahhabis into power in Saudi Arabia, uh, the ones that we're most worried about. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but you've got groups like that. And, and I can't help it. I don't mean any disrespect to Islam anymore to our own faith, but... I can't help that also you've probably got a whole lot of uneducated, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. Muslim rednecks, just like you have Christian rednecks that live out in the village in rural areas. And, you know, like we've had in, in the south where I come from, you've had them drag people behind a pick, pickup truck, you know, or set mm-hmm. up burning crosses, do this kind of stuff, you know. And they think that's Christianity. They're defending Christianity by doing that. Well, and there's some of that. And I wonder know. if there's a sort of a version of that when you take uneducated rural people, too, if that explains some of that dichotomy, too. Well, I'm sure there's some of that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that, uh, you know, that on the one hand, I'm hesitant to say that, you know, American Christianity is this shining beacon of, yeah, you know. right. Amazingness. On the other hand, you know, talk to people who've done missionary work and stuff down yeah. in places, and you know, uh, while outside the Muslim Crescent, you know, places like South America, you go out there, and where there's not a Christianizing influence of any kind, mm-hmm. you know, they tell, like they'll tell dentists, don't give any of those kids balloons, because yeah. you work on their teeth, give them a balloon, they'll go play, and a bunch of people will kill them for that balloon. You know, yeah. haven't seen that here yet. Yeah, <clears throat> but again, that's not necessarily. That's not necessarily a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's funny how that always yeah. happens uh-huh. now. Right. Um, Gives me plenty of edit time. <laughs> Lots of edit time. Sorry. Uh, it's, it, in, invariably, that happens uh, in, all, in all sorts of places, but it's not, it, it, it's a, it, 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 has, it has more to do with a lack of moral influence Positive yeah. or negative, you know, yeah. other monotheistic religions could conceivably come in and, and, you know, at least lay some structure. Yeah. Well, I mean, some some Christians in our Christian community, like when I went to that anti-Sharia conference, and they represent a, a not small part of the church, believe that everything I'm reading to you is an intentional lie. Mm-hmm. That they don't believe any of this, and that what this, the whole purpose of this document is to fool all of us and to be something else. All billion of them. You know, and mm-hmm. that... If if they really believed in this, you know, in this document, they're saying this is what you would believe to be a good Muslim. And what the Christian leaders here are saying is that 
if they believed this, they would not be a good Muslim. Mm -hmm. And hence, that, that they know more about how to practice Islam than like, these grand Sure, they, they would have went over some of these issues and at least have an authoritative speaking on it. Yeah. Whether or not that's the way it's lived out, whether or not there yeah. are other Muslims who, with equal authority who disagree, hard to say. Right. But, I mean, it... Uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's something that um, it's something to keep in mind what they're saying. Yeah, that would be a way to say. Well, it. the reason I'm reading this is that while a lot of our listeners will say, "Look, this is all lies. You're just spreading their lies to a wider audience." Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's good to hear out someone who, which between the two of you, you may end up just almost destroying the world mm -hmm. <laughs> because of the nature of your fight. You know, killing millions of people. Mm -hmm. It might be good to hear their perspective. You know, on things. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, let me let me try to wrap this segment up. It says, you mentioned the emperor's assertion that anything new brought by the prophet was evil and inhuman, such as the alleged command to spread the word of faith, uh, by sword the word of faith to be preached. What the emperor failed to realize, aside from the fact, as mentioned above, that no command ever existed in Islam, is that the prophet never claimed to be bringing anything fundamentally new. God says in the Holy Quran, not is said to thee, Muhammad, but what was already said to the messengers before thee. And say, Muhammad, I am no new thing amongst the messengers of God, nor know I what will be done with me or with you. I do but follow that which was revealed to me, and I am but a plain warner. Thus faith in the one God is not the property of any one religion community. According to Islamic belief, all the true prophets preach the same truth to different peoples at different times. The laws may be different, but the truth is unchanging. Okay, and I think by that they're trying to refer to the Jewish prophets and mm -hmm. Christian teachers. Okay, it says that you refer at one point to the experts on Islam and also cite two scholars by name, and they mention them. Um, let, let, me, let me just skip, skip this and go to Christianity and Islam. Christianity and Islam are the largest and second largest religions in the world in history. Christians and Muslims reportedly make up over a third and a fifth of humanity, respectively. Together they make up more than 55% of the world's population, making the relationship between the two communities the most important factor, contributing to meaningful peace around the world. As the leader of over a billion Catholics and moral example to others around the globe, yours is arguably the single most influential voice in continuing to uh, move this relationship forward in the direction of mutual understanding. We share your desire for frank and sincere dialogue and, and recognize its importance in an increasingly interconnected world. Upon the sincere and frank dialogue, we hope to continue to build peaceful and friendly relationships based on mutual respect, justice, and what is common in the essence of our shared Abrahamic tradition, particularly the two greatest commandments, uh, Mark 12, 29-31, and in Matthew 22. It says, The Lord our God is one Lord, uh, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy understanding, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second commandment is likened to this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than this. Now, this is what, in the later writings that I have, I found that the Muslim argument is the bridge that we can build some mutual respect between mm -hmm. each other. Is they're saying they're accepting those two commandments from Jesus. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they're offering, they're putting it on the table, saying, "Why don't we begin building a bridge based upon those two things?" And basically, what they elaborate further in later writings is, if you're loving your neighbors yourself, 
That means you just don't kill them and don't do this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Can, can we work on this as a way to try to, to construct something that will constrain people in our faith mm-hmm. not to do this stuff? So uh, they, wrap, they wrap up here. And there's an interesting quote here from the Second Vatican Council that I've never heard quoted before. It says, Muslims thus appreciate the following words from the Second Vatican Council. The church, okay, and this is from the Second Vatican, okay? The church has also a high regard for the Muslims. Now, this is what, 63? Is that when that came out? Vatican II? Yeah. Yeah, 63 okay. something or like that. something like that. Okay, high regard for the Muslims. They worship God, who is one, living, and subsistent, merciful and almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, who has also spoken to humanity. They endeavor to submit themselves without reserve to the hidden degrees of God, decrees of God, just as Abraham submitted himself to God's plan, to whose faith Muslims eagerly link their own. Although not acknowledging him as God, they venerate Jesus as a prophet. His virgin mother they also offer, even at times devoutly invoke. Further, they await the day of judgment and the reward of God following the resurrection of the dead. For this reason, they highly esteem an upright life and worship God, especially by way of prayer, alms, deed, and fasting. And then it says, In equally the words of the late Pope John Paul II, for whom many Muslims had great reward and esteem. Okay, here's John Pope John Paul. We... We Christians joyfully recognize the religious values we have in common with Islam. Today, I would like to repeat what I've said to young Muslims some years ago in Casablanca. This is, this is Pope John Paul. We believe in the same God, the one God, the living God, the God who created the world and brings his creatures to their perfection. I guess he made that quote in 1999. Mm-hmm. So, again, that quote may disturb people even more and put more distrust in the Pope or whatever, but... He's a communist. Regardless, historically, it, it's interesting that the Catholic Church, per se, has taken a position about them having the worshiping the same God, although obviously the, the Jesus mm-hmm. issue is the big thing on the table. But again, I never knew that. I never knew that was a Catholic position. Muslims also appreciated, and this is a wrapping it up here, your, uh, your unprecedented personal expression of sorrow and your clarification and assurance that your quote does not reflect your own personal opinion as well as the Cardinal Secretary of State's affirmation of the uh, conciliar document. Uh, finally, Muslims appreciated that in front of an assembled group of ambassadors from Muslim countries, you expressed total and profound respect for all Muslims. We hope that we will avoid the mistakes of the past and live together in a future of peace, mutual acceptance, and respect. And then they close with a quote, I guess probably from the Quran: and all praise belongs to God, and there's neither power nor strength except through God. And that document was signed by the head of religion for the University of Damascus, the Grand Mufti of Istanbul, the Grand Mufti of Bosnia-Herzegovina, Grand Mufti of Russia, Grand Mufti of Slovenia, Grand Mufti of Syria, Grand Mufti of Egypt, Grand Mufti of Oman, and then on and on and on, Grand Mufti of Kosovo, and a bunch of other leaders. So, that is probably the first time I think I have read much less heard on the radio, something that would be a recent religious response from actual Muslim people. Mm -hmm. I hear everybody talk about them, Mm -hmm. and they tell me what they believe, but I never actually hear them say it. Now, people may not agree with this, but I want to get onto your stories, but this led to some follow-on between Christians and Muslims that got to be controversial, Mm -hmm. and you know, that's what we chew on on this show is controversy. So, Mm -hmm. 
I hope this is educated. I hope it's not too boring. It's educational people, but I'll let it go on to get some interesting stuff here. What? Huh? Okay. What you got? Okay. Well, uh, I don't don't have quite the quite the head uh, the heady stories that you have there. That's okay. We need a we need something. Excuse me. No, it's more interesting. I'm peanut butter to your jelly. All right. Or maybe jelly to your peanut butter. All right. It's like, well, you're more like peanut butter to the chocolate, like a Reese's cup. Like, there you go. Run together, you know. Okay, oh. story. All right. This is from naturalnews.com. TSA agents steal $40,000 from passenger luggage, sentenced to only five months in prison. Now, if you stole $40,000 from an employer or from some other armed person or yeah. unarmed person, abusing your badge and all that stuff, you know, how long do you think that you would go to jail for? $40,000? $40,000. You walked up to somebody, like, and held a gun to them and, you I'd know. tell you, at least get a 10-year sentence, at least. I would think so, yeah. Might get off a little early for it, you know. I would say, I was thinking in the range of 5 to 20, depending yeah, on yeah. the circumstances, would Aggravated be legitimate. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this guy got, this dude got five months. Ooh, how how tough! Yeah, and and uh, I mean five I'll, months. I'll cut to the short. I'll cut to the short yeah. version. Like because he's a TSA guy, yeah. he got special legal treatment. Yeah. Uh, surprise, surprise! Yeah. Any normal person found guilty of stealing forty thousand dollars from, say, a bank or an employer would likely be sentenced to at least five years of prison. But when you work for the U.S. Transportation Security Administration, um, you can expect to be given special legal treatment and sent on your way. The Associated Press reports that two former TSA screeners, 44-year-old, gosh, I'm over here having a grand mall, uh, Kumar Prasad and 31-year-old Davin, Davin Webb, both of which worked at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York, have pleaded guilty to grand larceny, obstructing governmental administration, and official misconduct for stealing nearly $40,000 from an airport traveler's luggage. But rather than receive a normal prison sentence for such crimes, the two were sentenced to just six months in prison with five years probation. Hmm. Reporters indicate that Persid, who was an x-ray luggage screener at the time, had spotted the wad of cash in a suitcase while monitoring the x-ray screen. He reportedly then contacted Webb, who worked in another baggage area, to watch for the bag and mark it with special tape. Person later inspected the bag in another baggage handling area and proceeded to open it up and take the cash. All in all, the two thieves snagged $39,980, which was later retrieved by police from the men's homes. But based on typical sentencing guidelines, the punishment the two men received for their crimes is inadequate and indicative of the lax manner in which TSA agents who violate the law are treated within the justice system. Grand larceny alone is enough to warrant a much longer prison sentence than just six months. And when you add the other two charges into the mix, sentencing could be could easily be up to 15 to 20 years, which yeah. is you know kind of the top yeah. that I said. But because these agents worked for the government, they apparently are not subject to the same treatment as the rest of the public. You would think they'd be held to a higher standard. <coughs> you would think. You would think. I mean, you, it, it should be is what I'm saying. You would Maybe hope, not perhaps. cynically would yeah. think, but what you ideally would think. And it's TSA, quote, unquote, agents, and they have that in quotes, are not actual agents at all, however. They are not law enforcement, and they do not legally or constitutionally hold any type of special authority over anyone. The TSA you see working at 
at airports, in fact, are hired screeners that are technically, technically all in violation of the law for impersonating law enforcement officers. <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'd like for you to, like, say that at the airport, see what they would say. Well, um, we're going to arrest you. Set I freaked out. Arrest. I mean, I freaked out at the airport, kind of. Yeah, I remember you telling me. I'm yeah. amazed you you weren't arrested. Uh yeah. They put a they put a dude's uh they put a dude's like fake prosthetic leg through the scanner. They made him take it mm-hmm. off. And I turned to a son who was standing in front of me and I had some choice words for the TSA and then started saying, "I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free." And in fact, I was actually doing that in line earlier. What did anybody around you say when you? They were running? looking at me like kind of horrified. Yeah, you know, they're like they didn't want the baton to glance off you and hit them. I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And my my feeling is like, well, what what am I doing wrong? Just singing. Yeah. Is there a law against singing? I mean, it was good. It was in tune. You're not glorifying the state. Lee Greenwood, man, I, I sang it better than Lee Greenwood did. Yeah, I've heard those tapes. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, you got anything else there? Uh, no, it was a short article. Do you want me to do another one? Do another just one. The length. Yep. Do another one. Yeah. Um. Hmm. There's just so many. Gosh. You know, and you were supposed to have these priorities. I do, but you then go. I get to them and I'm like, gosh, th- that really fits with this. It, you know. Okay. It's too many yeah, trajectories. Just, just give us something. Okay. Mossad agents pose as CIA in operation. Mm-hmm. Um, Agents with Israel's Mossad agency posed as American CIA agents in operations to recruit members of the Pakistani militant group Jandala, a report in Foreign Policy magazine said Friday. That's crazy. Using American dollars and U.S. passports. Wait a second. Let me do the typical evangelical Christian response. Let me stick my fingers in my ears. La, 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 It does not exist if I keep doing that. It doesn't la, la, la. Mm-hmm. Um, using American dollars and U.S. passports, the agents passed themselves off as members of the Central Intelligence Agency in the operations, notably in London, according to memos from 2007 and 2008, said the report. Jundala, which means Soldiers of God, said it is fighting for interests of the southeastern province's largely ethnic Baluch community, whose members, unlike most Iranians, mainly follow the Sunni branch of Islam. The Baluch, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that in some 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 well-informed listeners going to be like, no, 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 no. But probably said it in a highly offensive way, probably. Yeah. The Baluk straddle. Yeah, I've actually started a war by yeah. mispronouncing it. Yeah. Yeah. Straddle the border with neighboring Pakistan and Afghanistan, and the Jandala militants have taken advantage of the unrest in the region to find safe haven in the border region. In July, it claimed responsibility for attacking the Grand Mosque in the provincial capital Zahedan, reportedly targeting members of the Iran's elite Revolutionary Guard Corps killing 28 people. It's amazing what the Israelis thought they could get away with, the U.S. intelligence officer told Foreign Policy. Their recruitment activities were nearly in the open. They apparently didn't give a blank what we thought, said the official. The memos were written during the last years of then-President George W. Bush's administration. The former U.S. Bush went absolutely ballistic when briefed on the memo, said the magazine. The reporter sparked White House concerns that Israel's program was putting Americans at risk. There's no question that the U.S. has cooperated with Israel in intelligence-gathering operations against the Iranians, but this was different. No matter what anyone thinks, we're not in the business of assassinating Iranian officials or killing Iranian civilians, said the official. Question mark. Mm-hmm. 
The Mossad activities could further jeopardize the already tense relationship with the United States with Pakistan, which is an official ally in the fight against al-Qaeda, which had been pressed to take action against Jandala, said foreign policy. Tensions in the U.S.-Iran relationship have also spiked. Most recently, following the assassination of an Iranian nuclear scientist, foreign policy said there was no evidence of a link between the scientist killing and Jandala. There you have it. So... They're, they they are masquerading as us, just like they did when they killed another scientist in another country a number of years ago, and they used other fake passports, too, to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're our allies. Is that, is that why we spend so much money taking care of them and sending so much money and putting ourselves in the way of war? That's what some people would have us believe. I'm yeah. not convinced. Yeah, they uh, they also took our missile technology and gave it to China. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's that's their way of saying thanks. So, you know. Well, can I go back to my uh, heretical readings? Yep. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that last document was a backdrop, and because it's cited here, of a more recent thing. And I, I, I will admit again that this is a document, regardless of what you think about it, that was a first step taken by the Muslim community. To the Christian community for peacemaking. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they're the ones having to take the first step to throw. Now, people may say, well, this is just a Trojan horse. But at least any, I don't know of any Christian equivalent to what this document I'm, I'm putting out. It's called uh, A Common Word Between Us and You. Okay? And this was released by the similar signatories to the last document that I read to the Christian community to begin sort of formal discussions. And I want to thank our Futurian that brought this up. Now, she may have had a very different view of the document. Uh, I just find it's interesting from an educational standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, again, a Muslim perspective to the Christian community. It says, Muslims and Christians together make up well over half the world's population. Without peace and justice between these two religious communities, there can be no meaningful peace in the world. The future of the world depends on peace between Muslims and Christians. The basis for this peace and understanding already exists. It is the part of the very foundational principles of both faiths, love of the one God and love of the neighbor. These principles are found over and over again in the sacred test of Islam and Christianity. The unity of God, the necessity of love for him, and the necessity of love for the neighbor is thus the common ground between Islam and Christianity. Here are only a few examples. Okay, So catch this theme that I mentioned earlier. Uh, a unique love of a God, you know, of God and of loving for neighbor. Okay, they mention the Quran. It says, He is God, the one, God, the self-sufficient, besought of all. Uh, of the necessity of love of God, God says in the Holy Quran, So invoke the name of the Lord and devote thyself to him with a complete devotion. It says, Of a necessity of love for the neighbor, the Prophet Muhammad said, None of you has faith until you love for your neighbor what you love for yourself. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ said, this is a Muslim quoting Jesus, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Out of Mark 12. Mm-hmm. In the Holy Quran, God the Most High enjoins Muslims to issue the following call to Christians. And Jews, people in Scripture. Okay, here's what they say Allah tells Muslims to do. Mm -hmm. To say, O people of the Scripture, that's us, 
Come to a common word between us and you, that we shall worship none but God, and that we shall ascribe no partner unto him, and that none of us shall take others for lords beside God. And if they turn away, then say, Bear witness that we are they who have surrendered unto him. The words, We shall ascribe no partner unto him, relate to the unity of God, and the words, Worship none but God, relate to being totally devoted to God. Hence, they all relate to the first and greatest commandment. According to one of the oldest and most authoritative commentaries on the Holy Quran, the words, that none of us shall take others for lords beside God, means that none of us shall obey the other in disobedience to what God has commanded. This relates to the second commandment because justice and freedom of religion are a crucial part of love of the neighbor. Thus, in obedience to the Holy Quran, we as Muslims invite Christians to come together with us on the basis of what is common to us, which is also what is essential to our faith and practice, the two commandments of love. <coughs> okay, now here's the more, more detailed thing. This is, they're going into the love of God, the love of God in Islam. It says that the central creed of Islam consists of two testimonies of faith, or shahadas, which state that there is no God but God, Muhammad is the messenger of God. These two testimonies are the uh, sine qua non of Islam, I guess, essential part. He or she who testifies to them is a Muslim. He who denies them is not a Muslim. Moreover, the prophet Muhammad says, the best remembrance is there is no God but God. Now, expanding on the best remembrance, the prophet Muhammad also said, the best that I have said myself and the prophets that came before me is, there is no God but God, he alone he hath no associate, his is the sovereignty, and his is the praise, and he hath power over all things. The phrases which follow the first testimony of faith are all from the Holy Quran. Each ascribe a mode of love of God and devotion to him. The words he alone remind Muslims that their hearts must be devoted to God alone. Since God says in the Holy Quran, God hath not assigned any man two hearts within his body. God is absolute, and therefore devotion to him must be totally secure, sincere. Mm -hmm. The words, he hath no associate, reminds Muslims that they must love God uniquely, without rivals within their souls. Since God says in the Holy Quran, yet there are men who take rivals unto God. They love them as they should love God. But those of faith are more intense in their love for God. Uh, indeed, their flesh and their hearts soften into the remembrance of God. Now, I would have thought they would have interpreted that to mean rivals to God, or host meaning like our idea of the Trinity, that they were using this as an example to show where we're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that argument has been made by Muslims at times. Yeah. But what these guys, the authors of this document, are saying, no, that was not what the intention of the document was. It means anything that is not God that you put your loyalty to. Mm. I would I would certainly dispute that. But Dispute what? That they think that? Yeah. Well, I mean, they may just be speaking for themselves. Sure. Either that or they're just lying. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say that they're lying. They just me, my my study of that. There may not be the popular, yeah, most popular opinion. Yeah. Which again sort of belies this whole fact that they're monolithic mm -hmm. in what they think about everything. Yeah. They're they're. I mean, to the way that I understand it, they tend to be much more mo much less monolithic overall. Yeah. You know, there's people. There's certainly ivory tower people, but it's 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 different. You know, but then I guess you know, like when you start thinking about Christianity as a monolithic thing, we all, we all are big on the on the majors, you know. Right. You know, Jesus is the Son of God, the Trinity. Uh, you know, He died and rose again. Mm 
you know, Mary. Except you got the Jesus only Pentecostals too. Yeah, well, I don't, I, 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 I can't say for. I, I may have a little sliver of the. I can't say for a fact that they're not, you know, that they're not, uh, yeah. you know, you know, heretical. I would yeah. say that, you know, if they're denying the Trinity, and yeah, probably right. heretical. Right. But then, you know, once you do that, it's like, well, look at what's going on. Like, you've got, like, Coptic Christians and, yeah. you know, the Byzantine Church and Marianite Church and the Assyrian Church and the yeah. Babylonian Church. You have to make a pretty big tent <clears throat> cram all that mm-hmm. stuff under it. And they're just, they have just as much claim to be Christian mm-hmm. as American I mean, evangelicals. Uh, you In know, fact, it's a lot more ancient one. Yep. It's interesting, too, because, like... Uh, you know the the Eastern Orthodox Church. We don't don't even entirely agree on how the Trinity is structured. We say, yeah, it's definitely a Trinity, but they think they're yeah. well. A Jesus and God are sort of Jesus as human and Jesus as God is sort of a. They would overall it's dio. They would they take the diophyte position, so it's sort of a more loosely controlled sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas and and they see a hierarchy, a definite hierarchy, like yeah. God is definitely in charge. The Father. Father's definitely yeah. in charge. Yeah. You know, the Son is number two, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit is number three. And, and you know, I, I, I'm cool with that, I guess. There's yeah. nothing over to get fight, fighting words they're, over. They're a, they're a big segment of the people who profess Christ <laughs> mm-hmm. numerically mm-hmm. in the world. Um, so it's it's very hard, like I said, to, to nail yeah. them down mm-hmm. monolithically, too. Yeah. Um, and they certainly have been around a lot longer than American evangelicals. Yeah, yeah. They have a different, you know, it's it's interesting. We we see it all. We see the Trinity like as, you know, one's not really higher than the other, even right. though the Father's in charge. Well, and, and Tom, you know, you and I both have that figured out. Yeah, I've got you know, it We've all. got it such... I'm just about to publish a book on it. Worked out so perfect. All the pages are blank. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that shows all your understandings, right? Yeah, it's Everything like, you're, yeah, there's one page resolved. of sort of stuff like it exists. Uh-huh. There. Yeah. Father, I accept, Son, Holy Ghost. I accept there. it by faith. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me just get a few like other little shamrock. snippets here. Uh, the the Fatiha recited. You know what I find interesting reading this text from a different religious group, which most people see as our enemies, is at least it shows an eye into the mind of people, and it gets your mind turning about you know big picture things. Mm-hmm. It says the Fatiha recited at least seventeen times daily by Muslims in their canonical prayers. Reminds us of the praise and gratitude due to God for his attributes of infinite goodness and all mercifulness. Not merely for his goodness and mercy to us in this life, but ultimately on the day of judgment. uh, When it matters the most and when we hope to be forgiven for our sins. It thus ends with prayers for grace and guidance so that we may attain, through what begins with praise and gratitude, salvation and love. For God says in the Holy Quran, Lo, those who believe and do good works... The infinitely good uh, will appoint to, for them love. Okay, here's another quote uh, about God. It says, And fear God, know that God is with the God-fearing. Spend your wealth for the cause of God. It be not cast by your own hands to ruin. And do good. Lo, God loveth the virtuous. Okay, and here's a few other little things. Um, and again, may, maybe nothing is authoritative of everything that Muslims say. But this has a pretty uh, pretty large group of uh, Muslim authors that signed this. And so the rest of the time we just hear evangelicals say what Muslims believe. But this is their this is their quote, okay. Okay, here here's the uh, their their detailed beliefs on these two commandments as a way for us to build bridges. Love of God is the first and greatest commandment in the Bible. 
Okay, here's Muslims talking about the Bible. The Shema in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, 4, and 5, is centerpiece of the Old Testament and of Jewish liturgy, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Likewise, uh, in the New Testament, the Messiah uh, asked, was asked. Now, they refer to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which is sort of interesting, mm-hmm. is asked about the greatest commandment. He answers. Uh, about where the Pharisees and Sadducees got together and asked him, and then he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. The first and greatest commandment, and the second, You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22. Okay, it says the command to fully, to love God fully is thus the first and greatest commandment of the Bible. Indeed, it is to be found in a number of other places throughout the Bible, and they give a long list of Bible passages where it's said. Says the words of the lawyer in Luke ten twenty seven, which are confirmed by Jesus Christ in Luke ten twenty eight, contain the same four terms as Mark twelve thirty, and the words of the scribe in Mark twelve thirty two, which are approved uh, of by Jesus Christ in Mark twelve thirty four, contain the three terms cardia heart, thyanoia mind, and ichthus strength. Um, it says, what all these versions thus have in common, despite the language differences between the Hebrew Old Testament, the original words of Jesus Christ in Aramaic, and the actual transmitted Greek of the New Testament, is the command to love God fully with one's heart and soul, and to be fully devoted to him. This is the first and greatest commandment for human beings. In light of what we have seen to be necessarily implied and evoked by prophets Muhammad's blessing, saying, the best that I have said, myself and the prophets that came before me, is, There is no God but God. He alone, he hath no associate. His is the sovereignty, and his is the praise, and he hath power over all things. We can now perhaps understand the words, The best that I have said, myself and the prophets that came before me, as equating the blessed formula, There is no God but God, he alone, he hath no associate, uh, is precisely with the first and greatest commandment, to love God with one's heart and soul as found in various places in the Bible. That is to say, in other words, that the prophet Muhammad was perhaps through inspiration restating and alluded to the Bible's first commandment. Okay, this is what they're trying to do to try to build some commonality mm-hmm. of understanding is saying what what now they're wondering that Muhammad, their leader, was mm-hmm. trying to do was in his own words trying to phrase the first commandment out of the Bible. Hmm. So whether that's true or not, they're they're using it as an attempt to build a way for us to get along. Okay. Well, yeah. I I mean that may be a stretch, but I will give Muhammad props in saying that he was in his time was kind of a moral leader. He banned a um <clears throat> he banned a practice that was pretty common where if people had one too many girls they would just go out into the desert and bury them yeah. alive, you know, just yeah. let the vultures pick them. He said, no, yeah, that's horrible. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he said more than frowned upon. He said, you will cut your head off. Well, we always hear about the, the things that he did, which were which were bad in our you know, sure. our standards and culture well, right and now. But you're talking about in the context of the culture yeah. he came from. Yeah, well, and I think it's fair to say that it's a mixed bag. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't sweep all the bad stuff under the rug. Either. Well, you know, there's some stuff we read in the Old Testament. That makes us swallow pretty hard in their culture. Sure. But how they treat it, you know, as slaves and how, like, you know, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, like even Jude and others went to prostitutes, mm-hmm. all this other kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And we just think, wow, 
You know? Yeah. It's not something we would agree on now. Yeah. Well, here's the love of neighbor. Let me just mention a few things. I'll try to wrap mm-hmm. this up. I, 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 again, I just sort of find this fascinating. There are numerous injunctions in Islam about the necessity and paramount importance of love for and mercy toward the neighbor. Love of the neighbor is an essential and integral part of faith in God and love of God because in Islam, without love of neighbor, there is no true faith in God and no righteousness. Mm-hmm. The prophet Muhammad said, none of you has faith until you love for your brother what you love for yourself and none of you has faith until you love for your neighbor what you love for yourself however empathy and sympathy for the neighbor even formal prayers are not enough it must be accomplished by or accompanied by generosity and self-sacrifice god says in the holy quran it is not righteous that you turn your faces to the east and the west but righteous is he who believeth in God in the last day and the angels and the scripture and the prophets and giveth wealth for love of him to kinsfolk and orphans and needy and the welfare wayfarer and to those who ask and to set slaves free and observeth proper worship and payeth the poor due and those who keep their treaty when they make one in patient and tribulation in adversity and time of stress such are they who are sincere such are the pious and ye shall attain unto righteousness until the expend of that which ye love. And whatsoever ye expend, God is aware thereof. Hmm. Without giving the neighbor what we ourselves love, we do not only truly love God or the neighbor. Um, and then they talk about in the Bible. They talk about the Bible thing. So here, here's their summary. Okay. Um, while Christianity and Islam are obviously different religions... And whilst there is no minimizing some of their formal differences, it is clear that the two greatest commandments are an area of common ground and a link between the Quran, the Torah, and the New Testament. What prefaces the two commandments, the Torah, and the New Testament, and what they arise out of is the unity of God. There is only one God. For the Shema, the Shema and the Torah starts, and they, they quote it again. Mm-hmm. Thus, the unity of God, love of him, and love of the neighbor form a common ground upon which Islam and Christianity and Judaism are founded. Um, this could not otherwise, uh, this could not be otherwise since Jesus said on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And they say that, basically they quote that Muhammad agrees to that. Okay. Um, it's in the Holy, um, in the Holy Quran, God tells Muslims to issue the following call to Christians and to Jews. Say, O people of the scripture, come to a common word between us and you. That we shall worship none by God, and we shall have no partner with Him. And we quoted this before. Okay. Um, now, um, as Muslims, we say to Christians. Now, this is very interesting. Okay, and, and wrap up here. As Muslims, we say to Christians that we are not against them, and that Islam is not against them. So long as they do not wage war against Muslims on account of their religion, oppress them, and drive them out of their homes, uh, and then they give a quote in the Quran uh, to not do that. Um, it says, moreover, God says in the Holy Quran, they are not all alike. Of the people of the scripture, there is a staunch community who recite the revelations of God in the night season, falling prostrate before him. They believe in God in the last day and enjoy right conduct and forbid indecency and vie one with another in good works. These are of the righteous and whatsoever good they do, nothing will be rejected of them. God is aware of those who ward off evil. Now, they were talking about Jews and Christians. Okay, mm-hmm. Is Christianity necessarily against Muslims? In the gospel, Jesus Christ says, he who is not, this is very interesting, God who, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. 
Matthew 12:30. Mm-hmm. He also quotes Mark 9, "He who is not against us is on our side." And Luke 9 says, "He who is not against us is on our side." Well, according to the blessed Theophylax explanation of the New Testament, these statements are not contradictions. You know, the first one sounds very negative. If you're not gathering with us, you're against us. Mm-hmm. Whereas the last two says, if you're not against us, you're on our side. Mm-hmm. So they sound different. Okay, so these are not contradictions because the first statement in the actual Greek text of the New Testament, this is, I don't know what you think of this, it says it actually refers to demons. So in other words, the context what? of Mark 12, the quotation of Mark 12 was, was talking about, I, I think, a demonic interaction. Okay, what what verse is that? Uh, this was uh, Mark Matthew 12:30. Matthew 12:30. Yeah. Uh, whereas the second and third statements refer to people who recognize Jesus but were not Christians. Muslims recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Interesting. Not in the same way Christians do, but Christians themselves anyway have never all agreed with each other on Jesus Christ's nature. Which is just what the points you were making earlier mm-hmm. about the Eastern Orthodox and others. Mm-hmm. But in the following way, here's the way Muslims do. The Messiah Jesus, son of Mary, is a messenger of God and his word, and his word, that Jesus is the word, mm-hmm. which he cast into Mary and a spirit from him. We therefore invite Christians to consider Muslims not against and thus with them in accordance with Jesus Christ's words here. So they're trying to paint themselves in a picture of a certain class of people that Jesus referred to in Scripture, saying, we're those kind of people. Hmm. Never heard that argument before. Okay. Finally, as Muslims, in obedience to the Holy Quran, we ask Christians to come together with us on the common essentials of our two religions, that we shall worship none but God, and that we shall ascribe no partner unto him, and that none of us shall take others for lords besides God. And let this common ground be the basis of all future interfaith dialogue between us for our common ground is that on which hangs all the law and the prophets uh, now he, here's what it says in the Quran it says say O Muslims we believe in God and that which is revealed unto us and that which was revealed unto Abraham and to Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and that which Jesus and Moses received and that which the prophets received from their Lord we make no distinction between any of them and unto them we have surrendered and if they believe in the like of that which we believe, then they are the rightly guided. But if they turn away, then they are in schism, and God will suffice thee against them. He is the hearer, the knower. So, the last paragraph here. Finding common ground between Muslims and Christians is not simply a matter for polite ecumenical dialogue between selected religious leaders. Christianity and Islam are the largest and second largest religion in the world and in history. Christians and Muslims reportedly make up over a third and over a fifth of humanity, respectively. Together, they make up more than 55% of the world's population, making the relationship between the two communities the most important factor contributing to meaningful peace around the world. If Muslims and Christians are not at peace, the world cannot be at peace. With the terrible weaponry of the modern world, with Muslims and Christians intertwined everywhere as never before, no side can unilaterally win a conflict between more than half of the world's inhabitants. Thus, our common future is at stake. The very survival of the world itself is perhaps at stake. And to those who nevertheless relish conflict and destruction for their own sake or reckon that they ultimately stand to gain through them, we say that our very eternal souls are all, all also at stake if we fail to sincerely make every effort to make peace and come together in harmony. 
God says in the Quran, Lo, God enjoineth justice and kindness and giving to kinsfolk, and forbiddeth lewdness and abominations of wickedness. He exhorteth you in order that you may take heed. Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9. Mm-hmm. And also, For what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Matthew 16:26. So let our differences not cause hatred and strife between us. Let us vie with each other only in righteousness and good works. Let us respect each other, be fair, just, and kind to another, and live in sincere peace, harmony, and mutual goodwill. Uh, and God says in the Holy Quran, and, and to thee we have revealed the scripture with the truth, confirming whatever scripture was before it, and a watcher over it. So judge between them that which God hath revealed, and follow not their desires away from the truth which had come unto thee. For each we have appointed a law and a way. Had God willed, he could have made you one community. But that he may try you, that by which he hath given you, he hath made you as you are. So vie one with another in good works. Under God you will all return, and he will then inform you of wherein you differ. So, this was a more recent document, it's called A Common Word, that evangelicals actually devised a response to, which time permits I'll read. But I just thought that was interesting food for thought coming from... Muslim scholars, a word directly to Christians. A bunch of communists. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people. It's it's really creepy because they they mm-hmm. say you cannot trust a single word here, and um, it's a trip. It's like I say, it's a Trojan horse. A bunch of communists. And I guess you know, time will find out. Nazi communists. Um, Boots on their head. I think it's very interesting stuff for somebody to read and think about a little bit, mm-hmm. and think: Is there a way? No, you know. Somebody else made the point that, you know, any kind of efforts for peace are, are a waste of time because we know where the world is going and there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And I would certainly agree, I know you would too, that we will never have any kind of lasting peace over the entire world until Jesus Christ comes. Mm-hmm. But it's not absolve us of his call to us to be peacemakers. And many people think that Muslims are in of themselves the main working of the hand of Satan. Mm-hmm. to do the evil in the world is basically Muslims. Yeah. I suspect, and this is consistent with what I observed and witnessed at that meeting in Montreal I spoke at, the UN one and other stuff, mm-hmm. is that um, while Muslims don't share our faith in Jesus Christ, which is huge, mm-hmm. um, that they may be being used as a dupe for globalists that Some really want to wipe us out along with them and the Jews as well, mm-hmm. that uh, they despise all of us because of our accountability with personal God. You know, even though, you know, we're going to find out that somebody was right or wrong because we believe Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that they may be being duped into something. And does it behoove anybody to be at war with people like that? You know, if this was the case, let, let's just say it was right to be at war with these kind of folk and be constantly bound. Don't talk to them. Don't find a way you can live at peace with them, but be at war. Does that mean that the Christians made a huge mistake by ending their crusades? Why should Maybe. not the Crusades kept on going? Maybe. If that was the preferred that way. They just should have kept right on going. Till there's nobody standing. North and east. Yeah. Yep, and just of course, you know what over. the church did? They changed their Crusades. Once they couldn't beat the Muslims, they went against the Winds, the group in Europe, and then they started going against the Albigenses and the other ones like that. And those were called Crusades too. So mm-hmm. we had to go fight somebody we can beat. You know. Mm-hmm. That's why we never we never fought the Russians because we were afraid that. 
they'd be too too bad. So we go pick a third world yeah. country and go wipe I them out. I picked a fight with a bag of Cheetos a couple of weeks ago and lost. So <laughs> okay, sorry about that. I know that was long winded, but it's anyway. cool. It's only seventy minutes. Yikes! Yeah, it's not just one story. Yeah, well, I got I got two go five minute to stories. You know, Lemos. <clears throat> This is what I, uh, I'll, I'll give this one my own name. I call it the Kafka, the Kafkaing of American schools. Right. Uh, the U.S. schools with their own police. It's from The Guardian. Yeah. The charge on the police docket was disrupting class. But that's not how 12-year-old Sarah Bustamante saw her arrest for spraying two bursts of perfume on her neck in class because other children were bullying her with taunts of, you smell. I'm weird. Other kids don't like me, said Sarah, who has been diagnosed with attention deficit and bipolar disorders and who is conscious of being overweight. They were saying a lot of rude things to me, just picking on me, she says. So I sprayed myself with perfume. Then they said, put that away. That's the most terrible smell I've ever smelled. Then the teacher called the police. The police didn't have far to come. He patrols the corridors of Sarah's school, Fulmore Middle uh, in Austin, Texas. Like hundreds of schools in the state and across large parts of the rest of the U.S., Fulmore Middle has its own police force with officers in uniform who carry guns to keep order in the canteens, playgrounds, and lessons. Sarah was taken from class, charged with a criminal misdemeanor, and ordered to appear in court. Each day, hundreds of school children appear before courts in Texas charged with offenses such as swearing, misbehaving on the school bus, or getting into a punch-up on the playground. Uh, children have been arrested for possessing cigarettes, wearing inappropriate clothes, and being late for school. In 2010, the police gave close to 300,000 Class C misdemeanors uh, tickets to children as young as six in Texas for offenses in and out of school with results in fines, community service, and even prison time which was once handled with a telling off by the teacher or a call to parents, uh, can now result in arrest and a record that may cost a young person a place in college or a job years later. We've taken school childhood behavior and made it criminal, said Katie Simpkins, a lawyer who represents Sarah Bustamantes. They're kids. Disruption of class? Every time I look at this law, I think, good Lord, I never would have made it in school in the U.S. I grew up in Australia, and it's just rowdy there. I don't know how these kids do it, how they go to school every day without breaking these laws. The answer is uh, Ridland. Yeah. 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 The British government is studying the American experience in dealing with gangs, unruly young people, and the juvenile justice in the wake of the riots in England. The UK's justice minister, Crispin Blunt. (laughs) That's funny. Visited Texas it's last. It's a very th- British kind of name too. Yeah. Well, there's his Crispin and Blunt are are two slang words for something else, and putting them together is funny. Hmm. Um, visiting visited Texas last September to study juvenile courts and prisons, youth gangs, and police outreach in schools, among other things. But his trip came at a time when Texas is reassessing his own re- its own reaction to fear to fears of feral youth, feral youth like they were. F E R A L. Yeah, feral. Yeah, like you know, dogs. Well, you remember the feral kid in uh, Road Warrior? Uh huh. He had that boomerang that he could throw around and bury in people's heads. Yep. 
cut their fingers off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they had. Well, those kids run around doing that. That's 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 sort of what came to my mind. Something yeah. similar to that. You know, it'd be neat if a we, bunch of feral hogs or well, something. Why don't we start a group sort of like Awanas in the church called the Feral Kids, <coughs> where we could, it could be like a whole different thing, but it'd be much more libertarian and. Mm-hmm. The kids could wear like you know skins and have their hair real long, have those boomerangs and yeah, sweet. be a replacement for a while. Yeah. like like sandals, kind of hard wooden yeah. sandals and stuff. Wednesday night, meet the feral kids or meeting. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but his trip came at a time when Texas is reassessing its own reaction to fears of feral youth that critics has create say has created a school to prison pipeline. The Texas Supreme Court Chief Justice Wallace Jefferson has warned that charging kids with criminal offenses for low-level behavioral issues is helping to drive many of them to a life in jail. Big surprise. Hmm. Wallace Jefferson, that's a very judgely sounding. Yeah. Wallace Jefferson. Wallace Jefferson. Very proper. Yeah, you don't picture like a, a hippie. No. You know, My Wallace name is Jefferson. Wallace Jefferson. Let's go spin dance. Yeah. No, it just doesn't, doesn't yeah. work. The Texas state legislature last year changed the law to stop the issuing of tickets to 10... Uh, to 10- and 11-year-olds over classroom behavior. In the state, the age of criminality, criminal responsibility is 10. But a broader bill to end the practice entirely, championed by a state senator, John Whitmire, who called the system, quote, ridiculous, unquote, failed to pass and cannot be considered again for another two years. Even the federal government has waded in, with the U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder saying of criminal citations being used to maintain discipline in schools, that is something that clearly has to stop. As almost every parent of a child drawn into the legal labyrinth by school policing observes, it wasn't this way when they were young. The emphasis on law and order in the classroom parallels more than two decades of rapid expansion of of all areas of policing in Texas in response to misplaced fears across the U.S. in the 1980s of a looming crime wave stocked Stoked by the crack epidemic, alarmist academic studies, and the media. Hmm. It's all it's all one sentence. Wow. Um, it's very much tied in with, in with some of the hyperbole around the rise in juvenile crime rate that took place back in the early 90s, said Deborah Fowler, deputy director of Texas Appleseed, an Austin legal rights group, and principal author of a 200-page study of the sequent consequences of policing in Texas schools. They ushered in tough, punitive policies. It was all part of the tough-on-crime movement. Part of that included the passing of laws that made the U.S. the only developed country to lock up children as young as 13 for life without wow. the possibility of parole. <laughs> yeah, you better think twice when you Phew. decide to slap somebody in... You know, study hall or something. You don't even have peach fuzz at that point, and you're away for life. Mm -hmm. Often as accomplices to murders committed by an adult. At the hand of law, at the hand of law and order, as the hand of law and order grew heavier across Texas, its grip also tightened on schools. The number of school districts in the state with police departments has risen than more, more than 24. 20-fold after the last two decades. I'm having like a grand mal seizure over here. I don't know what's going on. Cart me off to the. Now, those who have grandmas probably don't appreciate you saying that. No, I don't. Particularly during the show. Yeah, like if they're having a like you mean like right now they're having a grandma. Good. Yeah, I would say probably might want to get to the hospital instead of listening to Future Quake. Okay. Um, Zero tolerance started out as a term that was used in combating drug trafficking, and it became a term that is now widely used when two when you're referring to some very punitive school discipline measures. Those two policy worlds became conflated with each other. So, 
you know, zero tolerance on drugs and now school discipline. Great. In the midst of that drive came the 1999 Columbine High School massacre in which two students in Colorado shot dead 12 other pupils and a teacher before killing themselves. Uh, parents clamored for someone to protect their children and police in schools seemed to be many, seemed to many to be the answer. But most schools do not face any serious threat of violence and police officers patrolling the corridors and canteens are largely confronted with little more than boisterous or disrespectful childhood behavior. What we see often is a real overreaction to behavior that others would generally think of as just childish misbehavior rather than law-breaking, said Fowler. Tickets are most frequently issued by school police for disruption of class, which can mean causing problems during lessons, but is defined as disruptive behavior within 500 feet of school property, such as shouting, which is classified as making an unreasonable noise. So it's basically a police state. Yes. You you get to a police state where your po- police are always within feet of you anywhere you are. Mm-hmm. Basically. Ready yep. to drop the baton for any kind of boorish behavior. Yep. Among the more extreme cases documented by Appleseed is, a, is of a teacher who had a pupil arrested after the child responded to a question as to where a word could be found in a text by saying, in, in your culo, which is a, a, a bad word, making the other children laugh. Another pupil was arrested for throwing paper airplanes. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Students have also. We got to get those kind of kids in jail so they can be yeah. taught from master. You say a naughty word in class, in and there. then you get. Yeah. You know, get the clamps. Yeah. You know. And they can start learning how to safe crack and yep. stuff behind bars. Yep. Uh, um, students are also regularly fined for disorderly behavior, which includes playground scraps not serious enough to warrant an assault charge or for swearing or an offensive gesture. One teenage student was arrested and sent to court in Houston after he and his girlfriend poured milk on each other after they broke up. It's a little weird. Nearly one-third of tickets involved drugs and alcohol, although a relatively high number of tickets, up to 20% in some schools, involved charges over the use of weapons. Mostly the weapon, the weapons used were fists. Fists. Yeah. It's funny. Man, I would have been locked up. <clears throat> My all experience. The, all the all the all the pounding you, you there dealt was a out phase. There. there was a phase from fifth grade to tenth grade where sometimes trouble would just find me, even though I was like a little kid. I was yeah. pretty small. Yeah, you just sort of take them down. I was trouble. Yeah, I was like you know. Of course, I was sort of like the teacher's pet too. From so. about yeah, from about ten years up to about thirty, you were a lot of trouble. Well, and even occasionally now, some like you know conferences. Yeah, you know, I, I remember how, how many street fights did I have there in Branson. You know, Three people, I, know I, I told them, let's take it outside. Yeah. You know? I've never seen Robert Hyde looking so horrified. <laughs> you were like, you were like. Uh, well, usually he and I are back to back in the barroom fights. Yeah. You know, one says duck and we both duck when the chair yeah. comes. You were like uh, uh, like Wolverine from the X-Men or yeah. something. You know, they couldn't stop you. Tell you what, if I meant something like that, I want Johnny the Longshoreman on my side. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Continuing. The very young are not spared. According to Appleseed, Texas records show more than a 1,000 tickets were issued to primary school children over the past six years, although these have no legal force at that age. Appleseed said that several districts ticketed a six-year-old at least once in the last five years. Six-year-old ticket. Fines run up to $500. For poorer parents, the cost can be crippling. Some parents and students ignore the financial penalty, but that can have consequences years down the road. School children with outstanding fines are regularly jailed in an adult prison for non-payment once they turn 17. 
So it's a money-making gig to a large extent. In some and ways, And then yeah. they just get people used to incarceration, mm-hmm. where the whole society is used to, you got to pay the piper to the man in the uniform from the time you're in school on. He's going to be always around looking for his due. Mm-hmm. And if not, just be prepared eventually, sooner or later, to spend time in the pokey. Yep, yep. Uh, stumping up the fine is not an end to the offending student's problems either. A Class C misdemeanor is a criminal offense. Once you pay it, that's a guilty plea and that's on your record, said Simpkins. In the U.S., we have these astronomical college and university expenses, and you go to fill out the application to get your federal aid for that, and it says, have you ever been arrested in the last seven years? And there you are, no aid. That's right. Uh, in Austin, about 3% of the school district's 80,000 pupils were given criminal citations in the 2007-2008 school year, the last date for which uh, figures are available. But the chances of a teenager receiving a ticket in any given year are much higher than that because citations are generally issued to high school pupils, not those in kindergarten or primary school. The result, says Appleseed's report, is that school that the school-to-prison pipeline, in which a high proportion of children who receive tickets and end up in front of a court are arrested time and again because they are then marked out as troublemakers or find their future blighted by a criminal record. Mm. From her perch on the bench in an Austin courtroom, Judge Jean Moore, uh, uh, I guess that's how you say that, mm-hmm. has spent close on to 30 years dealing with children hauled up for infractions, some serious, some minor. Some of the difficulties faced by the teachers can be seen as Moore decides whether a parade of children should be released to await trial or held in custody. Moore switches between motherly and, tim- and intimidating, depending on what she makes the child before her. Some of them are rough kids, she said. I've been on the bench 30 years, and you used to never have a child cuss you out like you do now. I appreciate the frustrations that adults have in dealing with children who seem to have no manners of respect, but these are our future. Shouldn't we find a tool to change that dynamic versus just arresting them in school and coming down with the hard criminal justice hammer? Many of those who appear in front of Moore have learning problems. Children with disabilities are particularly vulnerable to the consequences of police in schools. Simpkins describes the case of a boy with attention deficit disorder who, as a 12-year-old, tipped a desk over in class in a rage. He was charged with threatening behavior and sent to a juvenile prison where he was required to earn his release by meeting certain educational and behavioral standards. But he can't, she said, because of, because of that he is turning 18 within the juvenile justice system for something that happened when he was 12. It's a real trap. A lot of these kids do have disabilities, and that's how they end up there and can't get out. Instead of dealing with it within school systems like we used to, we have these school police. They come in and it escalates from there. And the the article, I'm not even close to Mm -hmm. done, but, you know, I'll stop there. Hmm. You know, it just gets more and more ridiculous. I should have started in the middle and read the last half. That's a, Mm -hmm. you know, in every one of these steps was an intended good intention, I guess. Yeah. Was trying to say, let's just come up with a. You know, nail sticking up a little bit. Let's come up with a hammer solution mm-hmm. to fix it. And before you know it, you basically have people living in a police state. Police where state. They're, they're just used to having repeated run-ins with, quote, the law, the man in the uniform from a time of a young age. Mm-hmm. And either they're paying the piper through the fines at very young age, or they look at spending time in jail eventually. It's almost like mm-hmm. it sounds like sooner or later, you know, you and somebody have a fist fight and a point of rage well you're going you're going to go to jail you know you're yep. going to uh i got in a few dust ups in high school yeah it's a good thing nobody saw it yeah you know yeah 
Kid, kid sucker punched me in the fifth grade, broke my glasses. Really? Yeah. So I had to earn my honor back later, and you know, we burn went his at house it. Down. We went at it. <laughs> no, I didn't burn his house down. That wasn't until decades later. Yeah, that yeah, wasn't. I learned how. That to wasn't do until it. after you beat him up. Yeah, yeah. That's how I learned how to do it. Yeah. No wonder you have yeah. that PhD in mechanical engineering. That was the whole reason I went into that field. Just learn how to do that. Yeah. Just kidding, everybody. Um, would you like me to? Uh, you want to read something else? No, I mean that's good. That was that was quite a bit. Well, this has led up what I have been reading, and this last thing I read was the Muslims writing to the Christian community about the common word. Well, evangelical leaders came up with, and, and other Christians came up with a response to the to the common word. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this has turned out to be very controversial. This was written through the theology department at Yale. Mm-hmm. Okay, they sort of were the facilitator. Mm-hmm. For people to do it, Here, here's what they <coughs> excuse me sent back to the to the Muslim community in response. It says, "In the name of the infinitely good God, in whom we should love with all our being, as members of the worldwide Christian community, we were deeply encouraged and challenged by the recent historic open letter signed by 138 leading Muslim scholars, clerics, and intellectuals from around the world." A common word between us and you identifies some core common ground between Christianity and Islam, which lies at the heart of our respective faiths, as well as the heart of the most ancient Abrahamic faith, Judaism. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Jesus Christ's call to love God and neighbor was rooted in the divine revelation to the people of Israel, embodied in the Torah, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. We receive the open letter as a Muslim hand of conviviality and cooperation, extended to Christians worldwide. In this response, we extend our own Christian hand in return so that together with all other human beings, we may live in peace and justice as we seek to love God and our neighbors. Muslims and Christians have not always shaken hands in friendship. Their relations have sometimes been tense, even characterized by outright hostility. Since Jesus Christ says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Matthew 7. We want to begin by acknowledging that in the past, in the Crusades, and in the present, in excesses on the war on terror, many Christians have been guilty of sinning against our Muslim neighbors. Before we shake your hand in responding to your letter, we ask forgiveness of the all-merciful one and of the Muslim community around the world. Muslims and Christians, and this is quoting from the earlier thing, Muslims and Christians together make up well over half the world's population. Without peace and justice between these two religious communities, there can be no meaningful peace in the world. We share your sentiment of the Muslim signatories expressed in these opening lines of their open letter. Peaceful correlations or relations between Muslims and Christians stand as one of the most central challenges of this century and perhaps of the whole present epoch. Through tensions, conflicts, and even wars in which Christians and Muslims stand against each other are not primarily religious in character. They possess an undeniable religious dimension. If we can achieve religious peace between these two religious communities, peace in the world will clearly be easier to obtain. It is therefore no exaggeration to say, as you have in a common word between us and you, that the future of the world depends on peace between Muslims and Christians. What is so extraordinary about a common word between us and you is not that its signatories recognize the critical character of the present moment in relations between Muslims and Christians. Mm -hmm. It is rather a deep insight and courage with which they have identified the common ground between the Muslim and Christian religious communities. 
What is common between us lies not in something marginal or in something merely important to each. It lies rather in something absolutely central to both, love of God and love of neighbor. Surprisingly for many Christians, your letter considers the dual command of love to be the foundational principle not just of the Christian faith but of Islam as well. That so much common ground exists, common ground in some of the fundamentals of the faith, gives hope that undeniable differences and even the very real external pressures that bear down upon us cannot overshadow the common ground upon which we stand together. That this common ground consists in love of God of neighbor gives hope that deep cooperation between us can be a hallmark of the relations between the two communities. We applaud that a common word between us and you stresses so insistently the unique devotion to one God. Indeed, the love of God is the primary duty of every believer. God alone rightly commands our ultimate allegiance. When anyone or anything besides God commands our ultimate allegiance, a ruler, a nation, economic progress, or anything else, we end up serving idols and inevitably get mired in deep and deadly conflicts. Hmm. That's an interesting quote. We find it equally heartening that the God whom we should love above all things is described as being love. In the Muslim tradition, God, the Lord of the worlds, is the infinitely good and all-merciful. And the New Testament states clearly that God is love in 1 John 4, 8. Since God's goodness is, is infinite and not bound by anything, God makes his Son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous, according to the words of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospel. For Christians, humanity's love of God and God's love of humanity are intimately leaked. As we read in the New Testament, we love because he first loved us, 1 John 4. Our love of God springs from and is nourished by God's love for us. It cannot be otherwise, since the Creator who has power over all things is infinitely good. We find deep affinities with our own Christian faith when a common word between us and you insists that love is the pinnacle of our duties toward our neighbors. None of you has faith until you love for your neighbor what you love for yourself, the prophet Muhammad said. In the New Testament, we simply read, Whoever does not love the neighbor does not know God, 1 John 4, 8. And whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God is love, and our highest calling as human beings is to imitate the one whom we worship. We applaud when you state that justice and freedom of religion are a crucial part of the love of neighbor. When justice is lacking, neither love of God nor love of the neighbor can be present. When freedom is dishonored, or when freedom to worship God according to one's conscience is curtailed, God is dishonored. The neighbor is oppressed, and neither God nor neighbor is loved. Since Muslims seek to love their Christian neighbors, they are not against them, the document encouragingly states. Instead, Muslims are with them. As Christians, we resonate deeply with this sentiment. Our faith teaches that we must be with our neighbors, indeed, that we must act in their favor, even when our neighbors turn out to be our enemies. But I say unto you, says Jesus Christ, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on evil and on the good. Our love, Jesus Christ says, must imitate the love of the infinitely good creator. Our love must be as unconditional as is God's extending to brothers, sisters, neighbors, and even enemies. At the end of his life, Jesus Christ himself prayed for his enemies. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The prophet Muhammad did a similar thing when he was violently rejected and stoned by the people of Taif. He is known to have said, The most virtuous behavior is to engage those who sever relations, to give 
to those who withhold from you and to forgive those who wrong you. It is perhaps significant that after the Prophet Muhammad was driven out of Taif, it was the Christian slave Adas who went out to Muhammad, brought him food, kissed him, and embraced him. Let this common ground, the dual common ground of love of God and neighbor, be the basis of all future interfaith dialogue between us, your courageous letter urges. Indeed, in the generosity with which uh, the letter is written, you embody what you call for. We most heartily agree. Abandoning all hatred and strife, we must engage in interfaith dialogue as those who seek each other's good, for the one God unceasingly seeks our good. Indeed, together with you, we believe that we need to move beyond a polite ecumenical dialogue between selected religious leaders and work diligently to reshape relations between our communities and our nation so that they generally reflect the common love for God and for one another. Given the deep fissures in the relations between Christians and Muslims today, the task before us is daunting, and the stakes are great. The future of the world depends on our ability as Christians and Muslims to live together in peace. If we fail to make every effort to make peace and to come together in harmony, you correctly remind us that our eternal souls are at stake as well. We are persuaded that our next step should be for our leaders at every level to meet together and to begin the earnest work of determining how God would have us fulfill the requirement that we love God and one another. It is with humility and hope that we receive your generous letter and we commit ourselves to labor together in heart, soul, mind, and strength for the objectives you so appropriately propose. And I just made a note of some of the people who signed. I have 29 pages of signatories of Christian leaders mm-hmm. who signed it, but a couple of one, Captain Bradford Abelson, Chaplain Corps, U.S. Navy, mm-hmm. Senior Episcopal Chaplain of the Navy, the uh, Academic Dean of Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Lebanon, hmm. um, Scott Alexander, Associate Professor of Islam and Director of Catholic Muslim Studies. The Arab Baptist Catholic. Theological Seminary. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Um, Leith Anderson, president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Um, David Yonggi Cho, founder and senior pastor of Yodo Full Gospel Church, Seoul, Korea. Is that the, the Reverend Cho that's known for like praying so much as the largest church in the world? Oh, I don't know. I'm just assuming that's probably him. Uh, it's also signed by David Gushy, distinguished no professor kidding. of Christian huh. ethics. McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University and President Evangelicals for Human Rights, which was a guest on our show on mm-hmm. Future Quake. Bill Hybels, President Senior Pastor Willow Creek Community Church, signed it. Um, I'm skipping over a large list of names here. Rick Love, International Director, Frontiers, and Adjunct Associate Professor of Islamic Studies. Wow. Fuller Theological Seminary, author of Peacemaking. Um, Brian McLaren. Uh, Carl Medeiros, President of International Initiatives. Hmm. Uh, the Mennonite Central Committee, Akron, Pennsylvania. Sweet. Harold Metzler, member of the Church of the Brethren, inheritor of the Amish Mennonite tradition. Um, David Neff, editor-in-chief, vice president, Christianity Today Media Group. Uh, Vineyard Church people, Tyndall Seminary, Toronto, Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, got um, Reverend John Stott. You know, John Stott, the pretty popular uh, yeah. author, He's Rector Emeritus All Souls Church hmm. in London. Um, uh, let's see here. Rick Warren signed it. Um, let's see if there's any others that I noted that sort of, but pretty much every denominational tradition you can imagine is 
of some degree listed in here. Those, I'll just stop right there with those. But what do you think about that? the response from this part of the Christian community is signed on to this? Sort of fascinated. I'm gonna, I'd have to read it again to really... Yeah, I know it's hard for me just to listen to like, me reading it. But. It's like, yeah, it's like 20 pages of denseness. But overall, I was sort of inspired about it, by it, to be honest. Uh, it's highly controversial. Oh, really? And what I found out from the articles, again, that one of our future and friends sent, was that a lot of those, well, a lot, a few of those people are backpedaling, and it has created a major rift. And, you know, I don't even remember how old this is. This may have been a while since this was done. <coughs> but, um, yeah, well, I'm going to stop there and let you read some, but there are a few responses that are very curious to it. But I wanted I wanted your take on it beforehand. Well, that was it. What like, I have to. There was just so much yeah. there. I want to read it. Overall, I was encouraged, yeah. you know, I mean. I, I'm still intrigued, and again, I can't really form an opinion on this, but intrigued when the Muslims made this assertion that there was these other people that Jesus were implying was was doing work, but they weren't really part of his apostolic group. Mm-hmm. And he says, leave those people alone. Mm-hmm. And the Muslims were looking in there and saying, oh, that's us. That's sort of weird. I'm yeah. not saying they're right. I'm just yeah. saying it's sort of interesting that they would look in our scriptures to try to find out where they fit. Like that. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, here's here's one that we've been saying for years. I just thought I'd throw it out there, you know, because it's like sort of a told you so, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Greece's insolvent will default on debt. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a matter of time, right? Yeah. That's it. They've been going, and they said there's never going to happen. It's, you know, now yeah. it's basically official. Fitch's, Fitch's ratings managing director, Edward Parker, has said this. Uh, the euro area's most indebted country is likely to be able to honor a March 20 bond payment of 14.5 euros, uh, is unlikely to be able to honor the bond, par- bond payment. Parker said today in an interview in Stockholm, efforts to arrange a private sector deal on how to handle Greece's obligations would constitute a default, he said. Prime Minister Lucas Papadimos is scheduled to meet tomorrow with a group of represent a group representing private bondholders after a five-day break to hold talks on forgiving at least 50% of the nation's debt in the euro area's first sovereign restructuring. Greece's uh, official creditors begin uh, talks January 20th on spending curbs and budget cuts that will determine whether to disperse additional aid. The so-called private sector involvement for us would count as a default. It clearly is a default in our book, Parker said. So it won't be a surprise when the Greek default actually happens, and we expect it one way or another to be relatively soon. Hmm. There's more to the article, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. Not a, not a then surprise what for happens Futurians. at that point. Now, if I understand, they're like one-year bond ended up over 400% right now. Oh, yeah, it's it's... Crazy. Which if you want like great returns on your retirement account, just buy those Greek bonds. Mm-hmm. You know, over four hundred percent, that's a great return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, and you know that's an interesting question. Uh, I'll throw it at you. What do you think happens when they default? They default. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's a cascading, if it triggers all of them or not. There may be like extreme austerity measures that start kicking in, like mm-hmm. where banks start getting locked, where people can't get their, including here, because mm-hmm. they're all it's all really one big system. Mm-hmm. They will use this as just almost like a like a war type emergency where mm-hmm. people don't have access to their money anymore. Yeah, I, I think that that is, um, I think that that is appropriate an appropriate concern. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, you know, we've got this clawback thing going on where you you sense yeah. that a bank is going to default or a major fund is going to default. You take your money out. And, and then they have a right to get it back. Yeah. If you've plus, taken your rightful money interest out. and stuff, yeah. It's not only it's not only like, well, them's the breaks. Like it's, it was never your money to begin with. Yeah, I know. I'll just let that hang in the air for a second let yeah. people dwell on that. Well, let me ask you this. If people were stockholders in those banks mm-hmm. and they sold their stock before the bank went belly up, can they claw back that too? I don't know. That's a good question. I just wonder. Um, I think anything's fair game to a desperate It sort bank. of sounds like it. Yeah. They can write the laws in arrears. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Okay. You got something else for us? Yeah. Uh, DHS x-ray scanners could be cancer risk to border crossers. Okay. Uh, an internal Homeland Security document describes specifications for border crossing scanners, which they already have at some of the major ports, yeah. uh, which emit gamma or X-ray radiation to probe vehicles and their occupants. Uh, but they're raising new health and privacy concerns, CNET has learned. Even though a public outcry has prompted Homeland Security to move away from adding X-ray machines to airports, uh, it purchased 300 body scanners last year that used alternative technology instead. It appears to be embracing them at U.S.-Mexico land border crossings as an efficient way to detect drugs, currency, and explosives. A 63-page set of specifications, heavily redacted, obtained by the Electronic Privacy Information Center through the Freedom of Information Act, says the scanners must be based on X-ray or gamma technology, which use potentially dangerous ionizing radiation at high energies and shall be capable of scanning cars, SUVs, motorcycles, and buses. Society will pay a huge price in cancer because of this. John Sadat, professor of biochemistry and biophysics at the University of California at San Francisco, told CNET. Sadat has raised concerns about the health risks of X-ray scanners, and the European Commission in November prohibited their use in European airports. Hmm. And from what I've heard, they're bad. It's like, yeah, it's not a good thing. The specifications do not say how Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, will notify people crossing the border without the radiation emitted by the devices, about the radiation emitted by the devices. Well, you might figure something's up when they're taking their lunches and they're putting them in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's like you drive your car in and there's like a tray up uh-huh. above the hood of your car where there's like yeah. four or five of those microwave dinners going. Yeah. Remember why I told you to take you like some like Jiffy Pop popcorn with you when you walk through to see if it like pops up and expands when you go through? Yeah. That's a good sign. That that's... You know, that might be interesting. Take it and just sort of pull it out of a bag and toss it in one of a <laughs> toss it in one of those little scanners. Yeah. You know? See what it does. Yeah. See what happens. Um you know there was a there was sort of like a, a, a talk radio comedy group in Southern California. They were gonna they were gonna hire a midget and put him in a suitcase and uh, put him through the X ray scanner, the baggage scanner at the airport and he was gonna like wave. And then just, they had it all set up, and then they just called the doctor and said, hey, is this cool? And the doctor's like, no. Really? Those things, you'll, you'll like, melt his face off. Don't, don't do it. Really? Don't They're do that it. strong? Yeah. They said, you're, you'll, you will definitely give him cancer with that. Dang. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, but that's, huh. that's, that dims the brakes. So they didn't do it. Huh. But it supposedly didn't hurt film, though, according. Yeah. Even though every time I put film through it, it melted it. Yeah, you know? I don't know. Um, the specifications do not say how Customs and Border Protection will notify people crossing the border about the radiation emitted by the devices, how frequently the devices will be tested to ensure whether they're operating properly, never, uh, or whether travelers will be presented with a choice of declining the scan, 
which is an option at airport body, body scanners that use x-rays. X-ray scanners made by American Science and Engineering are already in use at busy San Ysidro, California checkpoint. CBP, which says the level of radiation emitted falls within commonly accepted norms, is planning to announce details about the next round of, scan next round of scanner purchases on February 1st. Unlike, say, radio waves, ionizing radiation is dangerous because it can damage living tissue, rearrange chromosomes, and raise cancer risks. So if I stood in there long enough, would it like rearrange my chromosomes? So I'd be like, like a woman. Or? Well, it might improve you. You know, you know, we always think about. Well, mutations. turn that thing on, man. We think about the negative aspect of mutations. We never think about the positive. Well, you know? that's well. I mean, we need know, to think more like Darwin. You know, I was going to say mutations for the better. Yeah, some mutations are for the better. So, ten thousand people through a, through a you know scanner, and they're going to be better. Yeah. Uh, have the strength of ten men or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they come out being Superman or something. Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, that was essentially sort of the thing. Like, Spider-Man was in a machine with a spider, and it fused his DNA with spider DNA. Right, right. Know, and, the Hulk. Yeah, yep. Uh, whether the radiation, and, and even the Fantastic Four, they got near the yeah. sun's radiation. Cosmic rays, I think, yep. did that. Yeah. Yep. Whether the radiation is harmful depends on the dose. Ionizing radiation at very low, do low doses is ubiquitous in the environment, including from cosmic radiation, radon, and high-altitude air travel. Pregnant women are especially sensitive to high doses of ionizing radiation. I think they say w pregnant women shouldn't fly too much. No. I've heard that before. Oh, you can't. If you're within so many months of delivery, you can't fly. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, this seems to be a massive escalation in the use of these systems, says Peter Rez, a professor of biophysics at Arizona State University who has studied the way the X-ray scanners work. Rez says the name that Homeland Security has picked for its border scanners Low-energy drive-through-portal, non-intrusive inspection system is highly misleading. To all anything based on high-energy X-rays, low-energy is worse than 1984 doublespeak because radiation emitted by the scanners goes right through the person sitting in a vehicle, he says. High-energy X-rays can penetrate not only human flesh but steel plates that are, that are multiple centimeters thick. For its part, Homeland Security says the dose is safe and based on commonly accepted government standards. Uh, once in a while, they turn the machine up to pop their popcorn, but that is not a concern. So I'm just making that part up. Uh, established by the National Council on Radiation Protection and Measurement, which would permit 2,500 scans a year for each person until they got cancer, and then they just bumped the yeah. number up. CBP specifications also require the manufacturer to perform an evaluation of the potential effect of radiation exposure on public safety on the proposed system. In addition, a CBP representative told CNET that the machines are currently only used in secondary inspections. Most people go through just the primary inspection. But Homeland Security did not respond, citing insufficient time to a list of questions that CNET proposed on Wednesday evening asked about, uh, asking about independent testing that has been performed on the scanners that would measure the actual dose of radiation emitted. emitted. In the case of its airport scanners, Homeland Security Transportation Security Administration initially promised to conduct such an analysis, but then backtracked, prompting criticism last fall from Senator Susan Collins, a Maine Republican. Uh, and then it just goes on and on and on. It's, you know, redaction by Homeland Security and the mm -hmm. CBP. And, you know, this is going to be good for you, even though it, like, you know, we, we aim it at the sky and, like, knock birds yeah, out of the sky. Yeah, right, right, you know? exactly. So, uh, but, you know, now coming to you. You know, you're going to get getting dosed. 
going across the border into Mexico, you get the you get a face melter. Well, that's one way to control you know immigration. Yep. I guess they could also use it to kill them right when they like try to crawl over the wall. Like you just have that laser beam go all the way down the thing. Well, the latest, kill them. yeah, the latest model actually does have a swivel where the thing like sits over the car, but yeah. can't swivel and just point down the border. Okay. You know, and it, you know, knocks people out like two miles away. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I guess at least until it, the the curvature of the Earth starts to curve away from it, it just keeps going out and knocking out distant stars and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. There's some. There's some. Yeah. <laughs> there's some stuff on the books where they. Actually, are going looking for like you know like the sideband, yeah. like over the horizon looking radar. They bounce off the ionosphere. Yeah, they're they're working on that to get people like in Argentina that may be thinking about Ricochet. crossing crossing yeah. the border. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm figuring probably the population on Mars when it used to be lush came up with these scanners, and that's what led to their current climate. And it could be, it it's possible. Some of their own TSA scanners. Yeah, it's possible. You know. Five years probably to, to leave it like that. Yep. Well, can I can I finish my little saga here? Sure. Uh, and uh, again, I appreciate our future friend who sent this to me. But uh, th- this is a little bit of the uh, blowback from those evangelical leaders signing that mm-hmm. letter that I just read. Uh, and again, this information may be just a little old, by just a few years. But I don't know if all our listeners were familiar with it. It says, influential evangelicals withdraw from the Christian Muslim statement. This is from Christian News at Christian, I think it's ChristianPost.com. It says, Wheaton College President uh, Dwayne Litvin, Provost Stanton Jones, and Chaplain Kevin Collow decided to back away from the letter that they had originally endorsed, along with nearly 300 Christian leaders, hmm. in November in response to an October statement, a common word between us and you from 138 Muslim scholars and clerics who called for interfaith cooperation for world peace. Quote, I signed the statement because I'm committed to the business of peacemaking and neighbor love, Litvin stated Friday in the record, the student publication of Wheaton. I did not savor the document's unnuanced apology section. In other words, that we were sorry for the crusades crusades Mm -hmm. and war and terror. But swallowed that in order to be part of a reaching out a hand to these Muslim leaders who had courageously taken the initiative. Though the statement was not written in the way I would have written it, it seemed to me that I could sign it without compromising any of my Christian convictions. The Christian-endorsed statement, which included such signatories as Rick Warren, uh, Bill Hybels, and Leith Anderson of National Association of Evangelicals, urged for interfaith dialogue that would build relations and reshape the Christian and Islam communities. Christian leaders also asked for forgiveness of sins committed against Muslims in the Crusades and the excess of the war on terror in the letter. Titled, Loving God and Neighbor Together, Christian Response to the Common Word, the statement emphasized the absolute central commonality between both religions, love of God and love of neighbor. The response drew sharp criticism from highly respected theologians, uh, Albert Moeller of the Southern Baptist Convention president, and John Piper, president of Bethlehem Baptist Church, and other Christian leaders. Piper called the Christian document a profound disappointment in the way it was worded and was surprised that even some of his friends lent their support to the letter. What's missing from this document is a clear statement about what Christianity really is and how we can come together to talk with Muslims from our unique, distinctive, biblical standpoint, Piper said in a public statement last month. He rejected the letter's emphasis on the common ground of love of God, arguing that the love of God for Christians is starkly different than that of Islam. 
The love of God is uniquely expressed through Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins because he died on the cross and rose again. All those things Islam radically rejects, Piper stressed. So they do not believe in the love of God we believe in. The Reverend, uh, I guess he's saying the love of God basically is totally comprised in the divinity of Jesus, which they reject. That's the best I can make it out. Hmm. The Reverend Canon... Uh, Dr. Patrick Sudeko, uh, the director of the Institute for Study of Islam and Christianity and a British Anglican, applauded the effort of the Muslim leaders in reaching out to Christian leaders to try to find common ground, but he called the Christian response a betrayal and sell out of the Christian faith. Following such criticism, Wheaton's Lifton re- realized that he, quote, moved too quickly to sign the document statement in his eagerness to support its strengths, including peacemaking. Recognizing that the statement could have been written differently to avoid vagueness of the Christian faith, Litvin said he could not support a statement that speaks as if Quran's Allah and the God of Christians are the same. I needed to back away, he said, regarding his retraction. At the same time, he says he does not criticize others who do not share these qualms. Noting that he was not pressured to withdraw his name from the statement, Litvin said it was simply a matter of conscience combined with the fact that I had put the college on the line in the way I was no longer comfortable in defending. Other signers of the Christian letter showed no qualms about their endorsement. I still agree with the statement. I don't have reservations, said Roy Oskvinad, director of Muslim Ministries at Wheaton's College Billy Graham Center, according to the record. And if you can oblige me, there's one other quick one I want to worry that is sort of indicative of the kind of other responses. That one was just a general Christian post thing with some snippets. But a lot of people made their personal statements, and this would be sort of typical of some of the ones that I looked at, this this following one right here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the one I won't read is uh, Bruce Thornton, Epistle to Muslims, Christian Leaders Abase Themselves Before Islam. Um, this one is called The Foolishness of the Yale Proposal, I Can't Sign the Letter, uh, by Eric Barger, or Barger. World peace, what an idea. Everyone would certainly like that. After all, we represent the Prince of Peace, don't we? However, it is a theological misconception to believe that we are here solely to make peace. Jesus never said that. In fact, he proclaimed the opposite in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus told his followers, Think not that I have come to peace on earth. I have not come to send peace but a sword. Matthew 10. This is just after his proclamation that, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. In verse 22. Though he proclaimed that peacemakers would be blessed in the Beatitudes of the Olivet Discourse, he never came close to intimating that we'd bring ultimate peace or be accepted by the world because of him. Quite the opposite is true. What liberal theologians have ignored, and we must remember, is that any peace which results in the compromising of absolute truth isn't true peace at all. Such would be a counterfeit based upon falsehood. I believe this is why Jesus points out that the world will always be at enmity. Uh, with his teaching and his true people, his true people. Uh, the world peace sounds wonderful. If it results in unholy conciliation, then count me out. If for no other reason, this is why I cannot sign the letter. I'm referring to the document produced by the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, entitled Loving God and Neighbor Together. Um, the Yale document is in response to a common word between us. We're over a hundred Muslim clerics and intellectuals. It's a call for dialogue between the two religions. This new Muslim document is an outgrowth of the 2006 treatise Open Letter to His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI. uh, For the first time in history, the common word claims that Muslim scholars from every branch of Islam spoke with one voice about the true teachings of Islam. 
It's very interesting. That would be a unique document in that respect. Mm -hmm. For an in-depth exploration of the accuracy and validity of that statement, see a companion article. Their God is not our God. Okay, to those unaware of the history and doctrine of Islam, the Yale letter may sound like a great idea. Even though it's an incorrect assumption that secularists love to repeat, the public's perception is that religion has been the source of the majority of wars. And of course, almost everyone is aware that Christian and Jews seem to be at odds with Muslims. However, before anyone gets excited about joining in with the Yale mistake, let me add my two cents of why this is not only a fruitless adventure, but a perilous one at that. On a purely human level, it is indeed the civil thing to do to attempt to find common ground with adversaries. However, there are circumstances and reasons that often negate such exploration. Absolute truth would head that list. So with that as a basis, there are two reasons that neither I nor any Christian leader should sign the Yale letter. Reason number one, biblical Christians have no basis for dialogue if the entire discussion is not based on objective and historic truth that both sides agree on as fact. Reason number two, biblical Christians cannot compromise if in so doing one capitulates concerning tenets of faith that are immovable. In other words, doctrine and standards of faith must override our human inclination to try and come to neutral agreement with the opposition, be they secular or religious. It is for both these religions, and perhaps more reasons, that you will not find informed Bible believers signing loving God and neighbor together. When I first heard of the Yale letter and saw the list of signers, I was shocked, but somehow not extremely surprised. One could certainly expect a group of liberal theologians to concoct such an idea. The list included representatives of the emergent camp and several notable neo-evangelicals, the usual suspects who continue to prove almost daily they hold no esteem for the Bible. However, as I read down the list of signers, my heart sank. Previously strong evangelical leaders, men whom I thought had discernment and who claimed their basis for life is rooted in truth. How could they be so far from reality on this? I pondered just how many of these people might have signed this love letter to the Muslims, but were simply just ignorant without apologetic understanding of the doctrines and history of Islam. Would you think that a little research might have prevented some of them from this regret regrettable alliance? I also wondered whether those who conceived of and signed the Yale document had bothered to pray and seek God about what they were about to do. Nice. Did bring it, on. Always, when you're in a corner, bring God on your side. Just well, so that everybody else is not. Did it not matter that while defending authentic Christianity, countless missionaries have lost their lives because of the evil edicts of Muhammad? Didn't anyone bother to point out that no matter how inviting the ovation offered by the Muslim clerics may appear on the surface, that the real nature of Islam is displayed by the savage manner in which the people are treated in Muslim nations when they happen to infringe on Sharia law? I suppose that one considers the heresy regularly being preached by those many who adhere to the Yale letter. It shouldn't shock us, as Rush Limbaugh would say. It's symbolism over substance. Uh, true to their lack of convictions, this bunch of milk-toast, self-proclaimed Christian leaders espousing Rodney King, why can't we just all get along theology, have made the decision that toiling over doctrine and truth is somehow less important than public perception. Well, they certainly aren't speaking for me or millions of other Bible believers either. Groveling at the feet of Islam isn't going to win Muslims over, even if it really was the right thing to do. It is sickening, and each of the signers of the Yale letter, Robert Schuller, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Leith Anderson, Jim Wallace, Brian McLaren, Richard Mao, and two prominent Assembly of God Bible College presidents, should fall on their knees in shame and beg Jehovah God for forgiveness. For more information on the historical and biblical errors presented by the Yale document, uh, see, see the companion article, Their God is Not Our God. Um, 
So that's sort of typical of the kind of responses that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 you're thinking? Did did that last recipient make his case on? It sounded a the, lot of the betrayal a lot of, of that. yelling. Um, it's about. Well, you know, another one. Bruce Thornton says that uh, the res- Christian response is in there starts on a familiar self-loathing note, mm-hmm. and a therapeutic style that has convinced jihadists that Christianity in the West is an empty shell, a mere lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it says it acknowledges that the Crusades in the present, the excesses of the war on terror, many Christians have been guilty of sinning against our Muslim neighbors, and so we ask forgiveness. Um, okay. The groveling self-abasement of this language, particularly its begging forgiveness of Allah, which I didn't know they were doing. No, they're just they're going to these people that. Uh, oh, I don't know. Is marked only nothing. by its remarkable historical ignorance. Um. So. Wow. Um. I mean, that pretty much gives you a feeling of of where where the church is falling. You know. Um. It says, along with the usual calls for interfaith dialogue, it makes flattering references to Muslim clerics, deep insight and courage, and their generous letter. This appeasing tone of the traditional demi, unreciprocated, solicital attitude typical of the inferior when dealing with the superior suggests once again that the West is spiritually dead. It's Christian faith in the hands of those who will not defend it, even in, in print. Um, That's a little strong. I mean, come on, brother. What's what's the attitude you get there? I'm gonna kill some dudes. Is is it not arrogance? Yeah. Is it not the arrogance of how dare them make us apologize for something? Yeah. You dimmy, you know? What's Christianity's not about what is it about Let's meekness? Kill them. What's it about? Like asking forgiveness first? You know? Let's kill them. Doing the right thing even when your enemies won't do the right thing? What mm-hmm. I mean what a what a weak what a yeah. weak uh, religion and group of people that you were turn actually... turn the cheek, they'll cut your head off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next thing, they'll be asking us to pray for our um, for our enemies, you know, and bless those that curse you. You know, that's what that letter was. It was probably just a sellout of blessing the people that curse us. And even when they say they bless us in a letter, they really mean they curse us. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they say they love us, you know that means they hate us. So... What what do you think the people in those last responses? What what's their solution? What do they? What, what do you think that they're selling that we should do as an alternative to having this kind of dialogue? Well, to quote Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I say we kill him. I say we hang him, then we kill him. I say we hang him, we cut him up into lots of pieces, and then we kill him. And then we kill him. No, let Pee Wee go. No. <laughs> Sounds like the only way up for the Muslim population for that guy is to do uh, uh, do the little dance with the big shoes. Nobody gets out alive. Yeah, basically, you're exact. Your analogy is perfect. Mm-hmm. The bikers in the biker bar. Mm-hmm. What do you mean back down? What do you mean show a little grace to somebody? What do you think we are? Well, we're Christians, don't you know, it? We're not going to be. One of the things that's been cycling down. cycling around is uh, Ron Paul. You know. In responding responding to a question about his foreign policy, he said, I think we should practice the golden rule. Which he just others. mentioned last night. Yeah, the that, yeah. The, perhaps that's the thing I've been seeing. I haven't had a chance yeah. to look at it. But yeah, last night. And he got booed or something. By the Bible Belt audience of South Carolina. 
The Bible Belt South Carolinians booed the Golden Rule. What's that? What's that tell about the Bible Belt? Man, seriously, that's serious. Where's our Where's our faith at? If we boo, you know, the, you, you don't end up booing Ron Paul. You're booing the author of the Golden Rule. Mm-hmm. Give us Barabbas. Mm-hmm. Because there were there were a bunch of Barabbases on stage. Mm-hmm. Man, and that's that's exactly what that is a call to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm depressed. Well, you got any chocolate? I tell you what, <clears throat> that the, you know, I have a because you know I this show's been a lot about doctrine and holding fast with the faith mm-hmm. over the years, mm-hmm. and I believe we need to really be careful holding fast. Don't fall for deceptive spirits from left, right, any other mm-hmm. course of action. Uh, I, if people don't believe that we're convic- committed to that after this many years, I don't know mm-hmm. what else to do. And I believe that. Some of the actions of the younger generation, like the emergent church movement and things, have all sorts of pitfalls mm-hmm. that they can doctrinally fall into and things, and some of these new books coming out. But having said that, on this particular issue about loving people and not trying to prove that we're stronger than somebody else mm-hmm. or trying to find an excuse to hate somebody, finding some kind of excuse to to uh, um, basically just be a last man standing kind of attitude, mm-hmm. they've got us licked pretty well. And being able to grasp that. And the old line evangelical community of which I've grown from, um, they're going to die out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're already losing They're already losing political clout. This fiasco that happened this past weekend where they met in secret, 150 of the top evangelical leaders, oh, Gary no. Bauer, uh, Dr. Dobson, um, um, left behind guy. Hey, Mooney Money LaHaye. Yeah, yeah, Family Research Council, Tony Perk, and all these other ones decide they're going to decide for us because they're so wise and discerning, and they teach teach our families during the week all of the truth out of the Bible, mm-hmm. and so they're going to decide who we're supposed to vote for. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do? They meet in secret, and then they go decide they're going to take all the money that the billionaires that they get, their money, and they're going to go put it behind a night of Malta. The price of betrayal has went up from 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, yeah. But they got their Barabbas. And then we find out after the fact that there was even sabotage going on amongst themselves, where you find out that the pro Santorum guys were stuffing ballot boxes, according to the Gingrich supporters there. Now, wait, these, these are our spiritual leaders making these arguments, mind you. These are people who come on our radios on Christian Radio and lead us that are saying that they sent people home early and then rushed through another vote while these guys were gone. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that that, that uh, the Lord said, these are the things the Gentiles do when they lord it over each other. And this is the thing our Christian leaders are practicing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand now why the head of the Family Research Council uh, accused Ron Paul's people at the Value Voter Summit of somehow, some way, uh, doing something to uh, uh, sabotage the vote, where they did something electronically or did something to sabotage the vote, even though he had no evidence mm-hmm. and accused them of a crime. Mm-hmm. That basically they, you know, it takes one to know one. And if this is the kind of activities, because when, when Robert Hyde and I heard this high-level official of the Family Research Council tell us in the elevator that they were going to try to spin the results in the media, to, to sort of bend it or veer it off from what mm-hmm. it really said. And this is their modus operandi. This is the way our evangelical leaders do things. 
And and then they end up doing it to each other. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if probably the most generous thing the Lord can do to us is if we can hang on enough till these guys just die off and the generation with them dies off. And maybe we'll get a group of people outside of the Cold War that can actually uh, look for these other values, you know? Well, there is, there is kind of a different mindset with the younger generation, I think, you know. And they've got their issues, too. You know, I understand that. But, Some of them, yeah. But, I mean, at least they, they they think of default as we should try to make some effort to get along yeah. with people and maybe help people that are poor and it, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking. I was uh this little home fellowship we have on Mondays. We were talking, and, and one of the people came back from leading a team in Kenya, and he was telling us, he said, man, it was so inspiring there. These kids were like five and six years old, and and uh, he said, you know what? And in fact, there was a kid that was like ten years old who knew the Bible better than most pastors there. Yeah. And uh, this one girl was like, you know, she said she said that she thanked God that her parents died because it brought her to this place and she could be saved. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like. It's, it was radical, you know, the stuff that they said about these young kids. You know, over in Kenya with, like, nothing. The way that, and the guy who started it, like, like, basically got, you know, raised from the dead. And God told yeah. him that that's what his mission was. And um, you hear stuff like that, and it's like, wow, there's hope. Yeah. You know, maybe at least in Kenya, maybe not here. But, yeah. you know, at least at least there, you know, all these young kids, um, you know, the they have it, they have it. You know, there's not really the accreditation standards in yeah. Kenya as there is here, but it's, you know, it's it's a school with some sort of accreditation, and you know, the senior kids take care of the junior kids, and the junior kids take care of the young kids, yeah. and everybody has, you know, an hour or more of Bible study a day, and they all really know their their stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and they don't. I don't think they take a lot of money, and you know, it's all sort of donation only, and mm-hmm. you know, um, you hear stuff like that, and you're like, wow, awesome. And then you see all of these yeah. other guys fighting over. It, it looks like you know, like two ferrets fighting in a gunny sack. You know, they want to fight everybody. Yeah, they want to fight everybody. And since they do have some money and they've got a military and other kind of stuff, well then we've got some resources to go fight somebody. We're yeah. going to do some earthly battle. You know, it's not about praying. It's not about supernatural warfare against principalities and powers. We're talking about earthlings on the here and now. That's who we want to go fight. And, you know, if I can make a comment on that original thing that the, the, the Muslims submitted, okay, mm-hmm. they they were not trying to make anybody out of that document that I could best I could tell a Muslim. Their purpose was not trying to do Muslim evangelization. They were trying to find something that was something common we could hang on to to have a little mutual respect so we don't kill each other. The people who wrote that response letter... And there's never going to be a perfect one. Mm-hmm. They were not trying to make Christians out of the Muslims through that letter. They mm-hmm. were not trying to Christianize it. They were trying to say, yeah, you've got some points, and you're right, and we shouldn't be acting maybe this way. Maybe we shouldn't try to kill each other. We have some shared values that at least should stimulate us to maybe us referee each other, mm-hmm. that we shouldn't go to extremes. And what I see is, is the admissions of the Muslim people in here should be something that a Christian group could hold it when Muslims go and start torching a house of Christians. Mm-hmm. So go, look, say, look, this is what you say your teachings are. Are you going to police your people in your neighborhood? You know, this gives us a document signed by your fellow Muslims saying you're supposed to do this, mm-hmm. of which they could do to us. You know, we start bombing their villages. They could hold this up. This is what you say you believe. And so 
um, even if it's a temporary piece, you know, or for or even over a limited sphere of things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the whole scope of what I understood this thing was trying to do. It wasn't trying to solve all the theological differences. You know, they didn't get into the whole full nature of Jesus. And obviously Christians believe something very different than Muslims on the full nature of what Christ is and what he accomplished on the cross and that kind of thing. But, you know, when people start talking and when they start acting civilly around each other and we have discourse, I have complete faith and confidence in the gospel that if we just show up, if we just show up and have interactions, not just with Muslims, with anybody, if we show up and start like living a life of love, the life of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. we start sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. The Holy Spirit can reveal to people who seek him, mm-hmm. those who really seek him, the rest of the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ through our testimony as well, mm-hmm. you know, in the word. But you've got to first start talking to people. Mm-hmm. And if you simply refuse to talk to people and you want to have no contact, there is such a level of distrust that having any word at all is in vain. How are you going to accomplish the Great Commission? Communist. You're saying all that liberal commie stuff. Pinko commie. Uh, yeah, there goes my security clearance. Well, that's enough I'm going to say on that. Is, would you like to share another story before we close? Or no, let's feel? just hit it. Do you want to leave it on that point? Uh, I, think that's the, I think that's a high point of the discussion, actually. Well, any, any last words that you have, brother? There's Anything just a lot on going on on your heart. in the world, in my life. We just all need to pray, seek the Lord's will and whatever's going on, uh, both with everything that you shared, albeit lengthy. It was informative. Sorry. And, it uh, was lengthy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's it. You know. Um, it looks like your life is a microcosm of the big, what's going on. And I would think one thing is common in either the stuff I was just talking about or the stuff going on in your life or whatever. What we have in common is even though we have access to the Holy Spirit and his wisdom, and we need to seek and ask in this current fleshly state we're in, we're still at a point of seeing through the mirror darkly, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're seeing through a mirror darkly on some of the decisions in your life right now. I know I am. These heavy kind of things about dealing with people, I will admit I'm seeing through a mirror darkly. I'm speaking out loud to thousands of people. You do too. We make ourselves vulnerable as we're trying to work through some of these, not the easy stuff, you know, but the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... We're all seeing through a mirror darkly, and this is a word to you and me, too, mm-hmm. of, of admonition, is that we got to cut each other slack while we're working through this stuff and cut the people around us slack. Mm-hmm. Maybe encourage us for our best selves, but but uh, that's that's the real thing a prayer can really benefit, mm. is to help us to be able to really see God's hand and guidance in all these matters, in our personal life and in the big world kind of thing. You know, most Christian teaching would say, uh, Tom Bionic, you focus just on your personal problems. There's enough. Don't be worried about what happens to a Muslim on this other world or something. No, we got to be Panama focused Bay. on it all. Just be focused on your own thing. But you know what? You set the proper example in that while you're dealing with a lot of stuff in your life, you are not just satisfied to focus on you. No. You spend all your effort focusing on other people of needs in your community, people that you know virtually through the Internet, and people on the other side of the world that you don't know. Um, you do not restrict your interest to just your own concerns. No, no, I think that's imperative, you know. It's. Uh, but you will not see that reflected in the common Christian bookstore by looking at the book titles that are in there. I wouldn't know. I don't go in them. <laughs> well, maybe when you're watching TV. Next question. Uh, <laughs> we better quit. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners uh, how to contact us here at Future Quick? 
Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Enough enough monologue here. Yeah. Brother, thank you so much. Yeah, man. You too. Sorry about good. the crazy veering I did here. but No, it's good. Figures to have said. Yeah. Come back. We will have our last Tomorrow's Trimmers next Tuesday. It's heavy. And then we'll have a very, very interesting interview, classic interview, and then the big finale with all stars. Uh, Something I will mention to our listeners, if you would like, if you have an uh, uh, email that you'd like to have some comments about what you think about Future Quake and you would like it read on the show, Mm -hmm. drop an email. And uh, just say, you know, I'd like for you to read this on the finale show about what it meant to me. Uh, Could get a zillion of them, could get zero. (laughs) I'm sensing a couple of funny ones. (laughs) I kept listening because you all were so weird. Yeah. I still can't quite figure it out. I'm still waiting for the good show. Not sure, if, it's, not sure if you guys being over is good or bad. Yeah. Best, yeah. Ted, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Y'all's a bunch of heretics. Well, we love y'all. Thank you for putting up with us, and uh, we'll look forward to you next week. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.